I think somebody should come along and make a movie in between the two when they have the ability to both remove and add mm-hmm. memories. And all the shit goes haywire. Call it total sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. Alright everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins, joined as always by the voice of CinemaSins, Jeremy Scott. Hello! And from Music Video Sins, Barrett Share. Hi everyone! And today we're going to continue what is now April Madness. Let the games begin! This is madness. It's madness, I tell you, for the love of God! Battle Royale! The crowd is just on its feet here. He's a Cinderella boy. Uh. You're excited. Feel these nipples. April Madness. <laughs> um, and you always said that resignedly. <laughs> yes. Um, well, I've said I said March Madness a lot, and I have now said April Madness a lot. And so it's like, how do you say this differently? There's not much way you can say that differently. <laughs> April Madness. Well, we did March Madness that way, so fuck it. Um, we're gonna do um, we're gonna do the North Region second round. Yeah. Uh, and maybe even get through it. We don't know. We don't know how this goes. Is there air? You don't know <laughs> exactly. Um, in our previous episode, we went through the number ones of all the regions in the second round, and uh, they all moved on. So mm-hmm. we're going to start today with the two seed, Die Hard, mm-hmm. versus the ten seed, Amelie. Oh. Uh, this is the only type of fight you would have if you were like in a relationship yeah. of some sort, yeah. and you're like, you know, I want to see, you know, something actiony, <laughs> and she's like, I want to see something, uh, you know, Romantic. because that's how your woman talks. Yeah. <laughs> I want to see something. <laughs> yeah, I want to see something romantic and cute and everything. And I was like, well, you know what, Amelie would actually be a pretty decent, uh, uh, you know, kind of uh, compromise. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. Because uh, I would be like secretly in love with Audrey Tattoo during all of that. <laughs> we can watch it, honey, but I'm going to be secretly in love yeah. with the main character. You just want to know. You just got to know that. Uh, anyway, <laughs> um, so, all right. We've talked a lot about these two movies, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, Die Hard is obviously still uh, awesome since the last time we talked it about is. it. <laughs> it <laughs> has not changed. gotten less awesome. <laughs> and Amelie is also awesome since uh, you know like we last voted. So what uh, what are we going to do here, guys? Well, Jesus, Jesus, they're both they're both. I don't know, man. You're right because this is really we're going to feel bad at the end of this, mm-hmm. no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, Die Hard definitely i'm guessing would be the fans choice mm-hmm. you know, because the vast majority of them probably still have not seen amelie mm-hmm. they should because it's delightful yes um but i am starting i'm sitting here wondering if a delightful film that does make you fall for its lead actress can stand up to the legacy that is die Hard. no it can't so are we ready to vote yes <laughs> I think so. not much we can yeah it's a fucking bloodbath. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Who goes first? I'll go first. Die hard. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was in suspense as to what your pick was going to be there. <laughs> um, and then uh, who's after that? Is it me? Yeah. Um, 
we all know how much I love Amelie, and I actually watched that recently uh, again, just to just to kind of get you know get back into it, or what, or just kind of remind myself of some things and everything. And it's like I think it's even more delightful than I remember. Yeah, even. <laughs> but I'm still picking Die Hard here. Well, the cool thing about both of these movies is they don't age. I mean, Amelie's now 16 years old, mm-hmm. and Die Hard is 27 Almost years old, 30. Yeah, so. I mean, it's crazy. You can point to something right in you know the mid to late '80s mm-hmm. where everything is fucking dated, yeah. and say like, no, man. I mean, it looks just as fresh. You know, maybe the effects of Hans Gruber falling down it, at the end. Is- it sort of shows you the the value of not doing pop culture references mm-hmm. and like referring to a lot of things that are going on and all that, and just making your story about. Here it is. Bad guys take over a building. Good guy picks them off one by one. And none of this like, that's what George Bush would have done or something like that. You know, has anybody seen that show Moonlighting? You know, know, those type of things are, you know, we we were actually watching a little bit of Wayne's World before this. And there's the there's the scene where they're they're doing the Nuprin ad, the yeah. old Nuprin ad, where there's like the black and white hand with the yellow pills oh, yeah. that go on it and everything. And it's like, who past the age of thirty, yeah. knows what those Nuprin ads are? I know. Imagine we almost lived in a world where the Die Hard Twinkie reference would be forgotten, right? Because the Twinkies went away. Mm-hmm. They came yeah. back and they're not as good anymore, but they're still there. But had that stayed that way in 10, 15 years, kids would be watching Die Hard going, what the fuck is that? Yeah. They don't sell that at my gas station. <laughs> yeah, but, but That even, looks like a zinger with a different packaging. Yeah. <laughs> but even so, it, it, I, don't, I think uh, you know, even something like Twinkies, like wouldn't have dated the movie no, even if it no. even if it i mean it was just that's one little that's that's a food stuff that you could buy back yeah. then you know yeah. um but yeah i mean those movies both of them uh, do really well at at you know not doing that type of thing you look at a lot of the movies that like judd apatow have been has been a part of yep. in the past day and there's already like super age on them mm-hmm because you know they've got ryan seacrest and knocked up and he's doing his thing gotta go do american idol yeah yeah. you know oh and in 40 year old virgin they have that sell your shit on ebay store which was an actual thing for a while like a year and a half there (laughs) Mm -hmm. and now ebay's probably barely gonna register after i don't know i guess that people still use ebay yeah i don't think the kids do i don't know if that coldplay reference is gonna last for that much longer no probably it it, it probably already has oh kelly clarkson there's a you're right and uh, what's funny is that i get why movies do that because you do sort of cheat a little and get 20 percent more laughter out of a a really good reference Mm -hmm. like that um but you're right just dates a movie and then in future viewings it's just going to pull you out of it yeah so and i'm assuming you're die hard as well i am going to flip the script and vote die hard Mm -hmm. Ah, nice i know you were all expecting me to go with amelie since Mm -hmm. i've seen it one and a half times yeah uh but no die hard is great and i wonder how much this movie unintentionally benefits from coming before the true boom of cg in terms of like other than that hans gruber shot and maybe one of those shots when 
Uh, Bruce Willis is jumping off the roof with the hose yeah, attached yeah, yeah. to him. There's it's, everything's practical because mm-hmm. it had to be. <laughs> yeah, because mm-hmm. they they couldn't make explosions at the bottom of a building when a C4 chair drops down an elevator shaft look real if they didn't actually have explosions. And so, you know, just I'm glad that Die Hard was made in an era where they couldn't just do that. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah, it's it's uh it's interesting that you know I think Die Hard is you know could consider that a dumb action movie or whatever by just a, a regular like. Like a common person is going to say, that's a dumb action movie yeah. or whatever. But it, you, you, they're really selling that short. It's a smart action movie. There are dumb things in it. There's a lot of testosterone being fly, <laughs> yeah. flying around in there or whatever. Hans, booby. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's it's actually very smart, and it's, it's extremely smart compared to what we're getting nowadays. Mm-hmm. With the Fast and Furious. Yes. That's a big, dumb action movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Those are dumb. The Those whole are... franchise is a big, dumb action movie. Yeah. yeah. Broken Arrow, there is a big, dumb action oh, movie. Yeah. Oh, fuck I think that if there was anything about die hard is that it just like anything influential when they started making movies that were like die hard yeah they started saying what did we like about die hard we love the dumb shit that's in there yeah. and so yeah. they just pro- <laughs> you know they prop that up instead of trying to make some make something smart although there were some successful ones that were die hard clones like under siege and mm. speed under siege didn't age well but speed i think is is still still does pretty well mm-hmm. and everything but after that man everything is just like yeah, I agree. Stupid Central. All right, so Die Hard moves on to the third yeah, round. Yeah, baby. Mm-hmm. No more table. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, okay, so we have the next one is, this is the super dark one. Yeah. <laughs> we have the three seed Silence of the Lambs versus the 11 seed Gone Baby Gone. Yeah. I don't like this. <laughs> I don't like this at all. This is this is some dark shit, man. Well, and what's frustrating for me is that I I feel like Gone Baby Gone is better than its reputation currently, but that time will force it to the top when we talk about great crime dramas and mysteries. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's going to have a better reputation in 10, 15 years than it does now. It's already 10 years old. Can you mm-hmm. guys believe that? I yeah. Know. But Silence of the Lambs? <laughs> Silence of the Lambs? Come on. I know. This is one of the greatest movies ever. And you, you're asking me to put it up against one of my favorite movies. I hate you, Barrett, <laughs> Barrett T. Johansson. I hate you. Yeah. Not really. It's I'm, my full I'll, name. I mean, I'm joking. Everybody, you can't see my face, but he knows I'm joking. Yeah. Although this is only possible because of our picking of Gone Baby Gone over Aliens and uh, uh. our Silence of the Lambs pick over Finding Nemo. Mm-hmm. So th- we can't blame Barrett totally for this one. We no, can blame I'm... him for all the first round. Yeah, yeah, but which begat this round. So <laughs> That's true. It's That's still true. ultimately his fault where yes. this lies. Yes. Silence of the Lambs. Mm-hmm. How recently have you seen that? Probably within the year. Yeah, it's been in the last few months. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it holds up really well, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does. I mean, it's clearly in the age before cell phones and a lot of computer wizardry, but that's not what this movie's trying to... The movie's not cheating on communication tools or expositional tools. The movie just wants to build true tension, mm-hmm. and it does it with great acting and great characters. Yeah, there was somebody on the SoundCloud comments, really great comments, and I'm not just blowing smoke, uh, for the last episode. And one of them, they were talking about our protagonist discussion, like who drives the plot and all that stuff, the perspective. They're saying, obviously, Clarice Starling is the protagonist, but the main character is Hannibal Lecter, Mm -hmm. um, because even though he's on screen very sparsely, uh, 
he's pervading the entirety of the, the story has nothing to do with very little to do with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he infects it in some way. And when you get a character so cool, and that's the cool thing is Jonathan Demi, right? Mm-hmm. The, 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 the director. What was cool about him is that he showed a lot of restraint. Because he could have gone back and said, like, you know what? Fuck it. This is an iconic performance. I know it. I see it. Yeah. I'm going to really shoot the shit out of this. Mm-hmm. And the book has more Lecter in it than uh, than the movie does. But, yeah, I mean, his ability to pull that back and say, they're going to be thinking about him throughout the movie anyway. Mm-hmm. Let's just show him whenever we would. Know. We were talking about this uh, a couple of episodes ago, three, four, um, about how movies were that were made for adults really were made for adults back mm-hmm. then like the, there wasn't any sort of like let's see if we can kind of get the younger crowd the, the 18 19 yeah. 20 and maybe the sneaking in 16 year olds and everything like that it's, whereas that's what that's what we get in a lot of these r-rated movies these days where it's like can we appeal to the uh, age demographic that this movie will not be rated for? Yeah, and what's weird is that, I mean, this was 91, mm-hmm. right? And you you guys were around that age. I was around 11, I think. Mm-hmm. And you you couldn't not hear about this movie, even at that age. Mm-hmm. you know. So you don't need that bullshit. You don't need right. those concessions. The younger crowd is going to to find it and see it eventually anyway if it's great like this. Yeah. Yeah, and uh and yeah, you don't yeah, exactly. It's kind of like the in Star Wars, the prequels, George Lucas decided I'm going to make my my main my main guy as I'm going to go all the way back to when he was a kid. Yeah. Because kids kids respond to other kids <laughs> and everything and it's like no, they responded to Mark Hamill when yeah. he was older. It's you, they want to be him. They don't want to see some asshole <laughs> contemporary running around. You know you what know? my favorite part, my, the craziest thing about Episode One is, is that right before the pod, uh, the pod race, um, you know, he's about to go like 190 miles an hour in this crazy dangerous thing, but Liam Neeson picks him up to put him in the pod, and he's like, "We." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Stop being a dick, Annie. Oh, Annie. Um, but uh yeah, Silence Lambs is great. Now Gone Baby Gone, of course, is great. And you're right, the reputation isn't quite there yet. There's nothing in Gone Baby Gone that you can compare to like Hannibal Lecter. No. Uh the mystery itself is super convoluted. Yeah. Uh, you know, whereas in, in Silence Lambs I guess it's convoluted, but but we're talking about people who are not right. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, this is somebody who's like, um, you know, Buffalo Bill is just he he only thing that makes sense to him is stuff that's convoluted, basically. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know. It's a Gone Baby Gone is uh, is a good movie. But I will say I mean, I've had three people in the last week on Twitter tell me they just watched Gone Baby Gone and were blown away by it. Yeah. Um, and I, I, if there's anything this movie has going for it in this fight matchup against Hannibal fucking Lecter, it's how long the movie stays with you. Yeah. And and I've said this before. I'll say it again. It is the most conversation driving movie I've ever seen, mm-hmm. uh, because I think you can be a good person and come down on either side of this main debate um, because it's so murky, mm-hmm. so not black and white. And I think that's why the movie stays with you as long as it does. I love that shit. I love that shit where it's not a nebulous ending. You know, a lot of like fucking Inception, where which right. I also love, but it's open to interpretation. 2001 A Space Odyssey, open to interpretation. This is not open to interpretation cognitively. 
It is morally. Mm. And that's my shit, man. The I love Simpsons that movie, open to interpretation. That's right. Definitely. That's Definitely. Right. Good or bad, that's what it's open to interpretation <laughs> for. First half good, second half bad. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so what's the order on this one? You start. It's on, Okay. I'm going to go Silence of the Lambs here. Um, I, I do I do think it has an edge on just like general excitement and, and just... Uh, it really pulls you into that world mm-hmm. and gone baby gone has certainly got it's it's a lot of merit here and i, I don't want to say anything really negative about it mm-hmm. there's not anything to say negative about it other than the really the 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 actions of our of the people who are all behind this are so insane when you come when it comes down to it yeah. we talked about this before like why not just call child services yeah. <laughs> you know instead they went through all this bullshit just yeah. to keep a kid you know away from his uh, her mom and everything so in the end i think that that little convoluted thing right there is going to be the the thing that twists me on mm-hmm. this one mm-hmm. so i have decided to make my vote based on the percentage of the movie's scenes devoted to jogging Mm. and for All that right. reason Silence of the Lambs is going to win because ah. <laughs> it has more jogging scenes <laughs> per capita than, <laughs> per capita than Gone Baby Gone which I believe has no jogging scenes mm. um, <clears throat> I don't know if it's Let's go jogging to or jogging it may be a soft J I do want to put a pin in this particular matchup and come back to it in about 10 years Yeah, because I, I really do think time is on Gone Baby Gone's side mm-hmm um but i agree with you that the total package um the iconicness of that villain performance which may never ever be lived up to by anyone gotta go silence the lambs sorry Mm -hmm. barrett your choice does not matter oh that's all right i was trying to talk myself into gone baby gone because it's definitely more centered in reality Mm -hmm. and um relatableness yeah um wait are you telling me that inmates at Insane asylums don't throw semen at female FBI agents when they walk by? Actually, they may, but they don't get a lot of opportunities because I don't think a lot of- Imagine the timing. (laughs) Seriously, he had to know she was coming. Yeah, yeah. Pardon the pun. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) The fact, and I may come back to this later on, the fact that Hannibal Lecter convinces his cellmate, Miggs, to swallow his own tongue and kill himself Mm -hmm. is- fucked up man it, it is. really is uh and he's not the villain in this which is crazy yeah silence of the lambs yeah put the lotion in the basket mm-hmm. sorry gone baby gone you are going back home yeah. no cutting down the nets for you in 10 years though we'll come back to it <laughs> whiplash and la la land it's and like, gone uh, baby gone will all be our favorites. i expect to see some of these movies go up in stature it's like al pacino and in, in uh, heat where he's like so long motherfucker <laughs> <laughs> you were good <laughs> oh nice all right so that brings us to our final matchup in the second round of the north region and that is it's the final the battle of the upsets although trumped up ups you know that's a trumped up thing here because shawshank redemption the 12 seed Mm -hmm. but uh versus the 13 seed sideways (laughs) (laughs) um this is maybe the most disappointing matchup yet Mm -hmm. you guys gotta talk i can't i'm shocked right now (laughs) well is this okay so in in the pantheon of alexander payne films where does sideways rank? 
Um, I think for, I guess, overall prestige and uh, just character development and everything, it's got to be like number one, right? Would you choose it over election? I would watch election over this Uh because it's funnier. Yeah. But Sideways is a better movie, Mm. I think. Although, I mean, it's really, they're really about the same. Yeah. Honestly, Sideways is a more of a drama. Uh, an election. I always tend to go for the one that's just funnier in yeah, general. Yeah. An election's just just super funny to me. Um, but election's got a lot of clever and ironic type of things in it. They're just great. Sideways has got that Paul Giamatti performance. It's so so amazing. But they both have kind of like the lovable. Even it's hard to call Matthew Broderick a schlub, but he kind of is in that movie, mm-hmm. you know. So I like it that he's he has that perspective of you know almost in the descendants like Clooney is as schlubby as he'll ever be basically mm. you know except for like Syriana or something like that <laughs> yeah but uh yeah I, I love that he's he's always taking it from the perspective of somebody that's not on top of the world uh, mm-hmm. in fact is usually towards the you know bottom rung of it and that's what this is man I mean Miles is like super down on his luck. He's he's going nowhere. This is all he has. This is really what he's clinging to. This is really all he has on Thomas Hayden Church. Like he's mm. smarter than him, but he's not as successful as he is. He's not as outlandish. He's not as friendly, but he knows fucking wine and yeah. he will impart that knowledge forcefully to him. You Are know? you chewing gum? he's so condescending in the beginning and almost all through i guess if he's talking to thomas hayden church he's condescending all the way through i love Mm. thomas hayden church just freaking loves everything yeah everything they try he's like tastes pretty good to me (laughs) every single time and it's always after giamatti has been like swill this is terrible i never i I never had much expectation for this anyway tastes pretty good to me (laughs) um i did read uh, a couple shawshank related articles uh yesterday that mm-hmm. uh, i think are timely one is that the shawshank redemption tree is no more the really? big the big tree in the field oh really along the wall where morgan freeman finds the, the obsidian that tree was actually in ohio not in new england um and apparently people have been going to visit it and take its picture for a long time but it was a, it was damaged in a storm a few years ago and the owner decided he wanted to farm the land instead of just, you know, letting tourists come by. <laughs> so he tore it down the rest of the way. He's going to make a table out of it. Oh, well, at least it has Good a for him. Life. Good for him. Yeah, it's an interesting tree. Mm-hmm. I can see why people, I wouldn't go all the way to the middle of a field in Ohio to look at a tree. <laughs> but if I was already there and I was on Google points of interest, I might go check it out. Yeah. The other thing is that Morgan Freeman gave an interview where, and one of the questions he was asked was why Shawshank didn't do so well at the box office. His answer is so funny because he's talking about word of mouth and it didn't really have any. And his ultimate point is that the title was too convoluted. Yep. He's like, you know, I'd I'd tell people about my new movie. Oh, I heard about that. The Shank Shaw, the (laughs) Shimp Shamp. It was definitely the title. Yeah. And it was that it was a prison movie. That's what that's what people know about it is that it's a prison movie. Mm -hmm. And it's like. If you have a you know solid knowledge base of prison movies, you don't want to watch that shit. <laughs> <laughs> Especially not one that's called Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> and then like Morgan Freeman himself, I don't know if he was real. I mean, was he really Morgan Freeman by that point? Because I don't think so. Because Lean on Me made him a star. Mm-hmm. He had, he got nominated for Street Smart, so people knew who he was before even Lean on Me came up. And Lean on Me made him a star. 
And then I don't remember there being anything in between that time, between Lean Man. That's five years, mm-hmm. uh, where he was like Morgan Freeman, like we associate with him today. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Tim Robbins definitely wasn't. No. No. I mean, he, and he, and like we've talked about before, he was in not only that, but the Hudsucker proxy, yes. which had no chance in hell <laughs> the same year. Um, but, uh, but yeah, they, they weren't like, leads here that just made you go i gotta go watch this no and it was a prison movie and it was called the shawshank yeah the deck is stacked against it you. really it really is and then yeah you had to have word of mouth but it wasn't the type of word of mouth that you get today where it's instant yeah right it took a long time and a theater that i was working at at the time this was before i was even a projectionist the the first time we got it, it obviously did nothing. And then finally, like around Oscar time, we got it again and it did decently, but it was still sort of, it still had that same kind of thing uh, going on where people were just didn't want to go see a prison movie. I don't think. Yeah. Uh, and you know, so what, what you didn't get a lot of that. You didn't get a lot of, I, I guess a lot of people were kind of just kind of keeping it close to the vest, you know, sort of saying, you know, yeah, it's really good. And then, yeah, that's, that's what happens in it. Well, there's a prison, and these guys beat up and rape this guy. And yeah, I don't want to see <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you, there's something about opera singers. It's really good. <laughs> <laughs> they tar a roof at one point. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, should be a, that, that should be a future topic. That dude from- Unsell a really good movie. Yeah. yeah. Like, make a great <laughs> movie sound like shit. <laughs> that dude from Highlander, who was not the only one at the end, he's in it. <laughs> um but uh yeah shawshank is one of those movies though that you know just oh, man it just at by the end of it how can you not just be like in love with it you yeah. know it's and there's it's it's a movie of just full of moments really there's not a there's not a unifying plot to this mm-hmm. this is just an episodic thing you could have made a tv show out of this almost. oh sure you can um, and this is probably i don't think there's really any doubt that this is morgan freeman's best performance right um because he's given more to work with know. he's now he's given prince of, of thieves oh yeah mm-hmm. oh. christian yeah no i mean he's typically he's morgan freeman you mm-hmm. know he's he's god or he's some sort of deity or he's the president of deep impact or something like that and he's or lucius fox even like yes okay he's got some some nice little quirks but this is the most comprehensive performance. I yeah, think. I, think I think so. so. I think you're right. I think especially with the scene where he's doing his parole hearing yeah. at the end, that really sells it for I me. really don't give you a shit. You brought up Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. He's also an Unforgiven. So I guess he did have mm-hmm. some things just before this that were kind of high profile, but he was never like the main star in it. He was always a, a character actor in those. Yeah, know. I didn't know he was. I didn't know Morgan Freeman was in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves until much later, probably after this movie. Yeah, yeah. Because it was just, you know, it wasn't anything memorable in that. Yeah, so anyway, uh, what are we going to vote? What's the what's the voting? So you start us off. But I don't want to start. You have to. You're correct that it's my vote. Shawshank, God damn it. <laughs> I'm sorry, sideways. I feel like Paul Giamatti's personally disappointed in me right now. <laughs> like, I just added to his character's, like, sadness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Paul Giamatti, rabid listener of the show. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, we, we were... Can you we give were, us a little Giamatti watching, listening to this right now and yeah, being disappointed? I can't believe that they, that <laughs> they, they voted against sideways. <laughs> This is some bullshit, guys. You goddamn motherfuckers. You goddamn motherfuckers. <laughs> um, 
It's got to be Shawshank. There's <laughs> well, too much here. It's too much weight. It's too much depth. I'm telling you, Shawshank is a sleeper pick here. Could mm-hmm. go. Could go Final Four quite easy. Could contend because I just it's flawless. Mm-hmm. It's flawless. Flawless victory. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. Sideways. <laughs> this one has actually bored into my soul even more than you have. Mm-hmm. Based on the what would you watch in front of you, and based on. I don't know the impact that it had on me. I'm going to go sideways. Mm, okay. Um, I appreciate you making the wrong choice. It doesn't have the scope. Sticking by your gut. That's right. It doesn't have the scope. It doesn't have the depth. I, but it's it's not as far away as as you would think. I mean, it's not as lighthearted a movie as it as it appears to be on oh, the surface. Oh no! I guess yeah, especially guess from was, the trailer. I guess if there was anything, it, it's hard. It's hard for sideways in this in this sort of a matchup because. Shawshank has, if you want to say it's manipulative in some way, as Mm -hmm. far as like getting you on board with it and having this big, long, like escape scene and the, you know, the arms outstretched in the rain Mm -hmm. and, and all that and sideways doesn't have that, but we, but we're judging this based on what we felt about these movies. So like sideways doesn't have that. So, but you do believe it happens after the cameras are done rolling, right? Isn't he driving on his way back up to see her when the movie credits start rolling? Like you feel that hope and optimism is just around the corner for this guy. Finally, we just don't get that payoff on screen that Shawshank gives us. That's Mm -hmm. an interesting point. Yeah. I mean, so it is, it's hard for a movie that doesn't have that and we can't blame it for not having that and everything. But I am going to go Shawshank here. Yeah. Uh, it's going to move on as the 12 seed, the ridiculous 12 seed. That's <laughs> what 1994 was. That's right. Um, all right. So here's some fucking matchups for your ass. <laughs> for your ass. For my and ass? For your ass. My ass loves matchups. For your ass. It's in the North region in the Sweet 16. It is now Jaws versus the Shawshank Redemption. God damn it! Woo! And it is now Silence of the Lambs versus Die Hard. Oh, man. God damn it! Man. One, two, and three seeds move on, and then the 12 seeds. I don't know how I can keep... I I keep going through these exercises forgetting that everything's going to get cut eventually, (laughs) Mm -hmm. except for one goddamn movie. Mm -hmm. That's right. Mm -hmm. (sighs) All right. Jesus. So that's going to take us over to the East region, the second round now. Uh, we picked Children of Men over Rocky during that last episode. <laughs> yeah. much, much to Jeremy's delight. Yes. Fuck you, Rocky. <laughs> um, and now we have this matchup. The number two seed, City of God versus the seven seed, Up in the Air. Yeah. Man, my favorite movies are dropping like flies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like flies, Barrett. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Up in the Air and Sideways are both just, mm-hmm. just cuddling them like a baby. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I'm not. Uh, fuck you. <laughs> City, uh, children of Men. Children of Men or City of God? City of God. City of God, Children of Men. Not as interchangeable as I make them sound. <laughs> well, the problem is is that the TV show City of Men came out after City of God, which oh. was still related to this world. And Children of the Corn often screws me up, too. Children yes, of the Corn. Yes. Always yep. lingering there in the background. Yep. And, and Children of a Lesser God comes in there somehow at some point. <laughs> I just watched City of God again the other day. I love that part when he comes and confesses, basically, I accidentally killed Benny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you killed the coolest hood in all yeah. the <laughs> Oh, it's just such a great movie. If we, if you haven't watched it or put it on your list from what we've said about it already, nothing we're going to say today is probably going to make you put it on that list because I'm sitting here with my hands clasped begging you to watch City of well, God. Well, I will say this, that it's, 
it is a movie that when you first start it, like the first five minutes of that movie, you're probably going to go, what kind of arty farty bullshit yep. did yeah. did CinemaSins try to turn me on to here? <laughs> this is some real bullshit because it's it's got that documentary style uh-huh. look to it. Yeah, the kids are running around in the Playing city, soccer, bunch yeah. of chickens yeah. and all that. Yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. so you're so it's like uh, you know when you first watch it, I I was like that when I first watched. Mm-hmm. It. I was like, what what kind of <laughs> bullshit did I just get into? Um, you know, is this going to be something where like there's a water shortage? or something and they're gonna have to go like to you know some <laughs> some other country i don't know what the fuck well but, i told you i thought from the poster in a title it was about missionaries i think the first mm-hmm. five minutes might give you that same vibe yeah, yeah maybe I'm watching a movie about missionaries here but what follows is uh just a, just an incredible yeah look at the rise of a of a sort of a crime gang basically or rival crime gangs or just all the different kind of gangs that are going on, it's, but especially this, you know, the couple main ones. Yeah, it's kind of terrifying because anybody uh, could die very mm-hmm. easily in this. And and basically, I mean, this this city is run by, I guess it's two or three. Yeah, they end up kind of yeah, consolidating. Yeah, because you have the little Zay uh, character and then you have the... Um, you have Carrot and then you Carrot, have yeah. the, the other one. And, and they all kind of eventually do pick sides and... I mean, it's almost, it seems like like 90% of the town is on in one of these two camps. Mm-hmm. And like you're, you could get caught in the crossfire. Like anybody could die at any point. In this. Yeah. Well, and I even think the movie kind of does that where like mm. there are a couple moments when you're like somebody will die and you're like, oh, I thought that was one of the main characters. I yeah. I'm following this guy now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's not, it's, it's almost the opposite of typical, right? Mm-hmm. Everything that you think you can expect from a gritty urban crime drama uh, turned on its head. Yep, oh, it's great. It's yeah. fantastic. Up in the air, God, you're cotton candy compared to City <laughs> of God, right? And up in the air gets to me, mm-hmm. and does it frequently. I've seen it probably a dozen or more times, and I still get the same gut punches. I still feel the same peaks and lows. I still kind of have that inside high five cheer when he reads that letter of recommendation Clooney wrote for Anna Kendrick. Um, it's just, I mean. I don't even think we need to discuss much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really don't, because City of God is just better on every level. Don't need to discuss much. <laughs> All right, so that's that's Paul, Paul Simon. Paul just took me a minute because you're our, singing um, so bad. Yeah, what's our voting? <laughs> what's our voting order? <laughs> it's him. Uh, it's me first. To, from the perspective of three Yanks, is City of God the best foreign language movie of all time? Uh, there would be some Kurosawa in there, I guess. Yeah, Kurosawa would be in there. Um, Cinema Paradiso would be in mm-hmm. that conversation for me. Uh, the Lives of Others would be in that conversation. Um, I think Open that... Open your eyes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, um, I probably would put that one in there. Um, but, and, yeah, and there's and there's going to be some people who put in the Pedro Motovar type movies mm-hmm. in there for that. But, um, but yeah, City of God... Uh, I will say, I kind of wish that everybody had seen Lives of Others. I think that mm-hmm. might have had a chance to uh, make this top 65, 68 or whatever if, if everybody had seen it. Um, that's just one of those. Just It's fantastic, and I can't recommend it enough. But uh, I think of all the movies that I've seen, Foreign Language, it's probably my favorite. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It, it sticks with you, man. It Yeah. This is something that you'll be chewing on for, for quite a while. You know, uh, that's my pick for sure. There are some movies where you're aware the whole time that you're reading subtitles. And mm-hmm. then there are some movies where you 
that becomes second nature because you're so wrapped up in the story and the characters. You don't really, you're not really, it's almost like you're hearing in English, even though you're still kind of reading. It's all subconscious. This movie is one of those. Mm-hmm. This movie will make you forget you're watching a foreign language film. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah it's universal. That's definitely my pick. Yep. Um, I'm City of God all the way here. Mm-hmm. I've been pretty vocal about how City of God is my still my favorite movie of the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. So almost anything that's going to go up against it from 2001 on is going to be shortchanged, I think, yeah. for, for me. We'll see if that if there's something that comes up that's really solid. Like, I mean, there's a chance. I'm looking at the, the bracket now. <laughs> there's some, there is a chance that something that is at least on par with it uh, is going to it's going to run up against uh, mm. in the past 20 years but city of god is i've been i've been tooting that movie's horn <laughs> for a really long time and i'm not going to stop now i've been a horse horn tooting <laughs> that's right well, horse tooting yeah i don't know <laughs> i don't know i don't know but i'm just glad for once somebody said something like tooting that movie's horn and i was not the first to devolve into <laughs> childish laughter yeah well <laughs> like to point i will vote city of god yes uh, you know i could i could vote up in the air just to plant a flag and there's no reason city nope. of god's better on every level and up in the air is almost perfect this is just kind of the situation we fucking put ourselves in with this goddamn bracket <laughs> What's that's <next>? correct <laughs> okay so we have a similar situation as to what we had with the usual suspects in seven uh-huh. in 1995 because now we're picking between the two 2007 movies oh well i think we know where this is the going. number six <laughs> um the number six seed there will be blood uh versus the 14 seed no country for old men mm-hmm. uh so yes the last time we voted on this i believe it went didn't was it was it There Will Be Blood, You and Me, Barrett? And yeah, then, I think so. And then No Country for Old Men mm-hmm, for, mm-hmm. for Jeremy. Uh, is there any way that anybody's going to change their opinion now? I wanted to, man. I've been watching a lot of No Country for Old Men. Mm-hmm. Not all the way through, just snippets. It is really, really great. It's got a series of great moments to it. And, you know, all the performances are just fucking amazing. Now, with, with There Will Be Blood, Daniel Day-Lewis's performances are uncanny i mean that's mm-hmm. that's in a, the stratosphere and paul dano's performance is also almost matches it the only knock on this movie is you could say maybe not everybody else is up to par but then there's really not anybody else in this movie yeah there's bit characters there's the old brother character and everything that comes in and out and you've got uh his son uh that comes in and out but they don't need you know a whole lot of support they're, they're enough to carry this kind of epic all the way to the end yeah every time i think about there will be blood i just think about this the technique that paul thomas anderson is uh is displaying and this it's just otherworldly compared to even the movies he had done before that he had done some heavy hitters before this man boogie nights and you know magnolia has its detractors but it was also a movie that you know he was showing off on yeah he was and uh and uh, and but this was just this was something that I don't don't think even even those movies informed how good this was going to be because it's not his typical thing that he did. It's not it's not a I don't know. It's not a multi character type of right. comedy drama. No, type exactly. Of thing. He was used to wrangling huge cast. Yeah, and so now we have Daniel Day Lewis just basically just knocking it out of the park and mm-hmm. just and Paul Thomas Anderson himself. I mean, I. I knew I wanted to see. I knew this movie was going to be good by seeing the trailer to it. Like it's rare that you see a trailer and you're like, 
there's just no way that can be bad. Mm-hmm. And that's the way that trailer was for me. And then I watched it and it was like, man, this is like just so close to perfection. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that No Country for Old Men is definitely fantastic. And yep. it's got all the <laughs> all things being equal. These movies are are equal. Yeah. Uh, they, they, there's not much you can say. It's, I, it's just that There Will Be Blood is trying to ascend a little bit of a higher plane, I think, overall. This uh, disagreement is reminding me of the disagreement discussed in No Country for Old Men when the deputy's on his horse looking mm-hmm. at the crime scene. He's like, a party show up, and then I figure, whoa, disagreements. <laughs> <laughs> I love that deputy so much. I'm voting No Country for Old Men. I don't know if we're even voting yet. Uh, I don't know if I'm first, but I know you guys are both voting There Will Be Blood, so I'm getting it out of the way. Yeah, I will I will be voting There Will Be Blood here. Again, we're... It's just like that Shawshank thing, mm-hmm. and you know, it Shawshank versus Sideways thing. Shawshank has the one thing in it that Sideways really can't have in its movie. Yeah, and the same thing with There Will Be Blo- Blood versus No Country for Old Men. There Will Be Blood is trying for something and hitting it out of the park. No Country for Old Men is definitely trying for something, but it's not going. It's not looking for that great American movie status. Mm-hmm. I don't think you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Coens are the Coens, and they're fantastic and. <laughs> <laughs> why would we ever pick against these movies but, <laughs> i don't know is i know i'm getting a lot of conceptuals here but is this i hate to say it pejoratively but is this the ceiling for the coens do you think because mm. fargo is right up there but this is maybe the best thing they've ever done right yeah I would in think terms so. of scope it's, and scale and that kind of thing yeah but i they're still too close to their prime i think to count out what they might do in the next 10 years yeah, I'm just saying, so far. Like, um, thus far, this would be, in my opinion, their best movie. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you're still going to get people who say Blood Simple is their mm-hmm. best, even though I think we all disagree with that in this room. Mm-hmm. Um, but Blood Simple was, you know, obviously that was something that, for the time, was something that was yeah. well out of, like, most, n- you know, newbie filmmakers' depth. Uh, but Fargo, obviously, is great. But yeah, No Country for Old Men, it's, it's got a, a groundwork there that's a, it's a little bit on a, a little bit higher plane than, than even Fargo. Mm-hmm. Um, so, And I would say, as we said the last time we talked about this, Chris and I at least think that uh, There Will Be Blood is Tom, Paul Thomas Anderson's best movie. But I think he's even gotten more. Like, you could, you could tell that maybe he can make something even greater uh, mm-hmm. than this. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's my pick. Um, it's it's fantastic. It's these movies are so close that they literally like filmed right next to each yeah. other at <laughs> yes. the same time. Yeah, there was get, greatness in the desert that yeah, year, my friends. No Country for Old Men had to shut down because of that the smoke from that big oil derrick. Uh, I'm also blast. pretty sure I could be wrong. I'm also pretty sure there was an SNL sketch that had both Anton Sugar and uh, Daniel Plainview. Yeah, in the <laughs> same sketch. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'll I'll look this up later, but I'm I'm almost positive because at the time that the SNL sketch aired, I hadn't seen either of the movies, and so I didn't care. Wow, um, <laughs> that's awesome. Like I, I like just the just imagining those characters having a conversation. Yeah, is amazing to me. I'm pretty sure you might want to Google that later. But anyway, um, yeah. So there will be blood wins, and there, it is. You know, there was much sadness and that. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so here is probably our hardest one of the day. Oh, no. Like, none of the ones we did already were hard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it is another uh, 12 and 13 again. It's uh, So we have the 12 seed, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, versus 13, Do the Right Thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, talk about movies that are not remotely similar. <laughs> right? 
different topics, different styles, different eras, both fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. God damn it. Yep. I really want to back out of this. Can we back? Can you have Jonathan come in here and take over for me for the next three weeks? <laughs> I really don't want to you, keep because it feels like I'm breaking up with the movie when I choose another movie. <laughs> yeah, and I'm yeah. not. I'm going to keep loving that movie, but we're eventually going to knight one film and the fans are going to hold us, hold us to it forever. Mm hmm. Um, Very hard. I watched uh, Eternal Sunshine uh, recently, you know, about three or four weeks ago or whatever, just to sort of refresh my memory. And I've forgotten a lot of things about it. Mm hmm. Ironically enough. <laughs> um, um, but what a wonderful movie that is. Yep. Like, I knew it was from what I, the last time I had seen it, but, but like, it's something that really holds up even today. And it's just, it's better than I think I remember it. Yeah. I had the same line of thought when I saw it recently mm -hmm. because I loved it. I watched it probably two or three times when it came out and just adored it mm -hmm. but then put it down for for quite a while and then picked it up you know maybe about six months ago and just i was floored man yeah uh and how emotional it was because yeah. you think about it conceptually and you think about it visually but you don't think about it emotionally i actually it had been so so long since i had seen this movie and I, and honestly i i feel shame that i haven't like continued to watch this over and over and see it's one of those movies i've always considered great mm -hmm. but just for whatever reason just never like watched it regularly, like a, a lot of other great movies that I could possibly watch. But I had forgotten the whole thing with Tom Wilkinson and Kirsten Dunst in this movie. Yeah, that, yeah. that was just a major plot point. Mm -hmm. I had forgotten the whole thing about that, and I'd forgotten that Elijah Wood at the very beginning of the movie is asking Jim Carrey, "Why are you here?" Yeah, and you're like, "Like, oh, what?" Uh, you, like I didn't know what that meant. Yeah. I think the first time I watched it, and I totally forgot about it. Right. L later on, and like, oh, that's that's later on in the movie, not early in the movie. Mm -hmm. Even because they make they do a seamless time transition in this thing. Yeah. Where you're like, where you're like, okay, Elijah Woods at the at, at Jim Carrey's car door or whatever, and then he's then he meets Kate Winslet mm -hmm. and then it's like he later he says I met her at this party and you're like didn't they meet at the train station yeah and and I was like oh okay <laughs> Jesus I was stupid as fuck <laughs> I like to think that this movie is a shared universe with total recall ooh uh, stay with me mm -hmm. in eternal sunshine where it's a it's a near future where they have discovered and put to use the technology to remove memories. Mm -hmm. In Total Recall, a much further into the future future, they've advanced that ability to now they can plant memories inside you. Right. Mm. So I believe the two are connected to the shared universe. I like that. I like that. I like that. Well, memory is just a construct. Mm -hmm. If you think about it philosophically, you know, you can, you can play around so much with the concept of memory, and there's a lot of... Uh, there was a exposition of like French cinema and and things that had to do with memory uh, when I was went to an art museum in Louisville and one of the things that he put in there at the end was Total Recall. Oh yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> because they all have to deal conceptually uh, with memory because memories can be false, they can be manipulated, they can be all kinds of stuff. Um, so to be able to to play with them, to remove them, to insert them, that kind of thing, is really like a powerful idea. And to be able to, to play with it as deftly uh, as Michel Gondry does here mm -hmm. um, is, is just really cool. And he treats it respectfully, too, you know, because he grounds it in these great performances. Well, mm -hmm. and that's 
Let's bring that memory thing, which is fascinating, back to movies and movie quotes, right? Because there's a bunch of famous movie quotes that were never actually uttered on screen. Oh, yeah. Right? That we have just culturally decided we're in the movie, like, Luke, I'm your father yeah. is not an actual line in Empire. And the one that sticks with me personally is Rules of Attraction. When they go on that bizarre side story with the gay teens and their drunk moms mm-hmm. at the restaurant in New York, and his... Even more outlandishly drunken gay friend. At one point, his mom asks him how school's going. And he goes, it sucks cock. It's hilarious. <laughs> but I have a vivid memory of watching that movie the first time. And he said balls. Mm-hmm. And so for five years, I'm quoting, it sucks balls. And I'm wrong. It's not what he says. And one day, Rules of Attraction comes on. And I go to quote it with him. And he says cock. And I say balls. And I was... <laughs> Thankfully, I was alone, so I wasn't mortified or embarrassed. But uh, even on the spot, we can create false memories uh-huh. that that were never true to begin with. I think that's fascinating. Yeah, and that's p- a part of why this movie is heartbreaking. I think is because, well, there's two things. But one, we're playing with you know, do you really want to erase the memory of a relationship, mm-hmm. uh, or just do you wish you could forget some of the bad parts or the good parts? I also think this is a unique example where the two leads somehow. I felt like she was one of my ex-girlfriends. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? I don't know whether it was the script or her performance or a combination, but they wrote and played her in such a way that I feel like a lot of people could have that reaction she and could acts, relate to that. Exactly. She's got the proper amount of angst, about of anger, yeah. of compassion and frivolity and that Eccentrism. Kind of thing. Yeah, Excent- exactly. Eccentricness? Yes. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's eccentricism, right? Yes. Yeah. And and that's that's the stuff that you. It's exactly a picture of. I don't know. Charlie Kaufman just recently broke up with somebody before mm-hmm. he wrote this, but like that's the kind of picture that you get when you break up with somebody that you've been very very close to. You remember primarily that that annoying shit. Yeah. And then that gives way to to this like, oh man, I do just miss that about her. You yeah. Know? What I what I saw on the second one too is how great the the time structure of this movie is too. The how the first memories that go are the ones that are most recent and that's where things have gotten bad mm-hmm. right and then then you start seeing it where it's less bad and then you see it where you see that first little germ of it like about to go south in like one of the middle scenes and then it gets right around first. the bookstore yes yeah, yeah. yes and then you and it keeps going on you know it gets better as it goes backward in time and mm. everything Leading also to that great moment where they've realized that they've done this by the end of the movie. They've got their tapes and she says, I'm going to find you boring and we're going to break up and all that. Like after they've already decided they're going to date again and he's like, all right, sign me up basically. You know, he's like, yeah, "Yeah, I'm, it's a weird, it's, it's weird. Like it, this is one of those rare moments where a couple has a second chance. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, they know what to expect going in. It's almost like, what what would you call it? Like, uh, it's almost like getting a, a preview before you you go in or you get. I wonder about that. She had the procedure done too, right? Yes, yes. that's she, the reason she did well, before she, he did. She did she it did before, before he, he did, did. Yeah. and and then he goes and tries to talk to her, and, she, and it's at the library where she's like pretends she doesn't even know him. Right. And then Elijah Wood's kind of like stuck behind the thing. He never sees his face. Mm-hmm. That's why there's no right, recognition right. Yeah, at yeah. all. And, you know, there's that great scene you talked about in the last one where he keeps turning them yeah. around and it's just <laughs> no face <Yeah. laughs> and everything. Um, so, yeah, because she did that, 
and because he he's and then somebody i think in his inner circle fucks it up a little he they fuck it up because they're not supposed to say anything right. about it and right. they 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 let it sort of like leak somehow like or or oh what it is is the little card that they send to people yeah. that that's that was just lying around right and so he finds out about it so then he decides he's going to do it too and um, yeah and because of that what's weird about that is that they do get a second chance but they don't they still don't have the totality of the memories of that relationship all they have is that tape mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. that they they heard basically all the shitty stuff like yep. you know he's doing this and she's doing that and that kind of thing and that's crazy where you take that's a leap of faith where all you've heard is how shitty this ends up. You don't hear like all of any of the good stuff, yeah. really, except for how you feel when you're around them. Mm-hmm. And man, yeah, that's that's pretty powerful shit. Yeah, and what a great scene with them on the ice too. Where mm-hmm. they're just, they're, it's this. Uh, it's my second favorite romantic scene uh, with two people on the ice at night, <laughs> coming in behind serendipity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kate, Kate Beckinsale <laughs> and John Cusack. We have serendipity. <laughs> <laughs> that is a stupid fucking movie, by the way. Go watch um, that. So yeah, and we've talked a lot about Eternal Sunshine. Now on to do the right thing. Another mm-hmm. movie that I have seen a couple of times recently. Mm-hmm. It's come on HBO, and I think I popped it in once. And it's like there's a lot of ways to watch Do the Right Thing, but uh, this movie is just un- utterly fantastic too. Mm-hmm. The structure of it is something that is really unmatched as far as uh, movies of that era are concerned. I know. It's so intense and so yeah. gripping all the way through. And we talked about this before when we were going through its first round and everything. Um, just how every scene is a confrontation and it just drives every scene. And it can be funny sometimes. It can be harrowing a lot of times. It can be sort of like, whoa, 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 sometimes. <laughs> um, and... Man, I tell you what, this is going to be one of the hardest decisions we've had in this whole um, this whole bracket. Because they, I think, for once, uh, we're we're moved enough from both of them to be able to appreciate their greatness. Neither one of them brand new and yet to really settled into its place in what we think about it. Mm-hmm. They both have great big things to say that are important. Mm-hmm. One about you know race and racial harmony, and one about love. And mm-hmm. um, it's going to be very hard. Oh, Jesus. I'm going first on this one, aren't I? Yes. Yes. Why are you asking me? I thought you had a thing in front of you. <laughs> I don't have... I've got to keep track mentally with the... That's the why you screw it up all the time. <clears throat> exactly. We cover a lot of different territory there. Well, I went first last time, but it was his turn to go first. Exactly. So it's my turn to go first. Mm-hmm. Do you want to keep talking about do the right thing? Do you thing? ever go first? Yeah. Yeah, he goes first. Uh, why is it Why is it because I've gone first, it's his turn, and we so go on counter, and so forth? Because we go counterclockwise. So when have you, when's the last time you went first? Right. Uh, it was uh, right before that. It was the uh, City of Godwin. Okay. So it is my turn? No, it's mine. Okay. <laughs> um, Who's on first? Yeah. Oh, Eternal Sunshine. Eternal Sunshine. And... I, I don't know why. This movie really got to me. And mm. I think it's just because I had a lot of crazy girlfriends in college. Um, and so I could relate to everything being sunny in the first few months of a relationship and then everything deteriorating and the end memories being terrible. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but this movie is just a one big sloppy French kiss. I love it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> not really. It's not really that. <laughs> But that's what came out of my mouth just now. And anyway, yeah, that's the one. I'm sorry. Sorry, Spike. I know you and I are tight. 
yeah, Do the Right Thing is great. I saw it fairly recently, too. You know what I like about Do the Right Thing is Mr. Senior Love Daddy. Yeah. <laughs> Man, Samuel L. Jackson. Samuel Jackson. Just, and playing a, a, like a pre-Samuel L. Jackson type yeah. of role yeah. where he's he's crazy and he's ostentatious. You need to cool out! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but he's not like how he is with Miss Peregrine or something like that. Or Pulp. <laughs> yeah. It's a weird King example Kong. to make. I just, yeah, King Kong is a better example. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, man, seeing what's crazy about do the right thing and Spike Lee will be the first to tell you about this. There's nobody that likes this movie more than Spike fucking Lee. <laughs> he is fucking all about, if you watch interviews with them, he's like, yeah, my shit's important. This is maybe the most important movie that's ever come out. And I'm like, God damn, dude. Uh, but, uh, the stuff that he was doing, like when, uh, the, the white guy with the bike runs over the dude's shoes. Yeah. And uh, they, I mean, again, another conflict that could end with somebody being killed or something beat up yeah. or something like that. And at the end of it, it's like fucking gentrification. Yeah. Like yeah. yeah. And this was way back. Like, and- hey, I was born in Brooklyn and everybody's like, oh, <laughs> 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 oh it's fucking great. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's really, really great. Um, it is a hard decision. Yeah, this is the hardest one. Um, I think I, I think I probably agree with Jeremy. Like uh, the fact that this Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind not only like it primarily gets you in, in on an emotional level. Yeah, and j- if it were just that, then that would make it a great movie. But then you got these fucking visuals, man. Yeah, and you get these, and you get the concept of this memory removal thing and how that impacts you emotionally and spiritually well, and this and movie wants to get at your heart but it wants your brain as well yeah like inception like the way you know what i mean like yeah, yeah. the way that it's a super fucking smart movie and concept and you're right the visuals are every bit as strong as the emotional uh, it really it really is like the perfect storm of everybody right in their wheelhouse jim carrey saying like i'm gonna fuck it i'm gonna go for this and and just try to act my nuts off, mm-hmm. and by doing it in a muted, really muted performance, um, he doesn't go you know over the top hardly at all in this. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing with Kate Winslet's just fucking amazing, um, and then Michelle Gondry and Charlie Kaufman like right in their primes. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's a great confluence of events. So I'm I'm gonna pick that. All right. Wow. Um, I'm probably uh, going to end up on Eternal Sunshine as well on this one. Mm-hmm. I don't know if the same would have been two or three weeks ago. Hmm. These movies, and I, you know, and it's one of the rare moments where I, because I think I saw this coming, and I was like, I'm going to watch both of these and sort of get a better idea of what I like best. And there's nothing I like best in this group. Mm-hmm. We have to pick something, right? Um, but the fact that I've seen both of these sort of like in the same time frame and everything. Now I have a little bit more is eternal sunshine is such a creative movie and yeah. it's hard to, it's hard to pick against that type of thing when Kaufman is doing his best and you have somebody reins it in like Michelle Gondry does here, you know, it, that movie is, like I said, it's more delightful than I thought it was the last, the last time I saw it. And uh, and do the right thing is is still my jam. Yeah. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's you have to pick one, and it didn't matter anyway. But I'm going to pick Eternal Sunshine. Woo-hoo! It's going to end up being unanimous, but it's a hard unanimous. It, it is. Really, I mean, that was actually probably one of the toughest calls we've had to make. Mm-hmm. All right. So, in the East region, here are the following matchups: 
Children of Men will go up against Eternal Sunshine and the Spotless Mind. Ah! Oh, I like that matchup a lot. And that is a matchup of probably my two favorite movies of this millennium. Yeah, and that's going to be hard. Mm -hmm. And we now have There Will Be Blood versus City of God. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, I need to watch. I'm going to watch both of those movies before next week, and I'm going to enjoy the shit out yeah, of them. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to have to do a little bit more reviewing. Before. I'm going to watch Eternal Sunshine and then Total Recall. <laughs> hey, that's a good, that's like a good that. double feature, man. I like it. I think somebody should come along and make a movie in between the two when they have the ability to both remove and add mm -hmm. memories. And all the shit goes haywire. Call it total sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> Eternal recall of the spotless mind. Oh, Jesus. All right. Directed by Michel Verhoeven. <laughs> That's European as fuck. That is, man. <laughs> Michel Verhoeven. <laughs> it's like an aristocrat at a party. Or Seriously. Yeah. Nobody likes that guy. Just from um, his name. All right. We go over to the South region and it's second round. And uh, we start off with the two seed Pulp Fiction versus the seven seed Annie Hall. Yeah. 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 Hmm. Uh, two extremely dialogue-heavy, screenplay-driven movies. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's true. Um, Pulp Fiction, obviously, uh, is just... It's one of my favorite movies of the last 25 years. Mm -hmm. um, I don't... The, Pulp, the thing about Pulp Fiction is I still don't think I've gotten the feeling I've gotten after watching Pulp Fiction from any movie that has come out since 1994. Mm -hmm. that, that sort of this, and I said, I said this in a, probably a, the 1994 podcast, it was one of those movies where I walked out going, man, things have changed. Movies yeah. have changed. This yeah. is completely different from anything I've ever seen before. Um, even though Tarantino was basically recycling a lot of things from the 70s and everything, mm -hmm. but he's making it his own modern type of thing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I had never seen a movie that played like this before. Mm -hmm. uh, the dancing around and the timeline and yeah. and uh, and just the, the dialogue that's that is does have a lot of pop culture heavy heavy references but it never feels dated because i guess the references themselves are timeless enough yeah yeah it's not anything going on like you know it's nothing like contemporary that he throws in that screenplay that just like okay well that's a reference that's lost on everything he picks stuff from the 70s and the 60s and and whatever and uh, but man it's so so good well the timeline is such and so complicated but not overcomplicated that we're still talking like last week we had this debate over what mm. happened with the car. Yeah. And it turns out that Butch did key Vince Vega's car after the bar scene. Oh, uh, yeah? That's what Tarantino literally confirmed. Oh, that's awesome. You called him? Uh, I did. <laughs> uh, I did a bunch of research and uh, he actually was on a, a morning radio show and somebody mentioned that and he said oh yeah that's exactly but again right. tarantino is one of those people who like when somebody comes up with a really great explanation for something <laughs> he just sort of adopts it yeah like the the whole thing about uh the, the whatever's in the case is yeah. marcellus wallace's soul and that's the reason why he has the band-aid on his neck mm -hmm. at the beginning and everything 
when in fact the band-aid was just used to cover up a scar yeah. and then it just made up a whole somebody made up a whole thing <laughs> later they're like yeah totally that's what it is yeah i like that i like what you're doing there but the crazy thing is is that it does make sense in that in that universe it does so. it does make it do, it does give you some insight as to why those two characters would hate each other because yeah. there is a like a whole like why does he hate him so much yeah. not your friend palooka yeah i think you heard me just fine punchy you know <laughs> <laughs> it's like you know because uh, he's not like that with anybody else no he's pretty laid back yeah. with everybody else especially i love watching him and eric stoltz his drug dealer <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> it's freaking hilarious i heard michael j fox was supposed to play the eric stoltz role <laughs> <laughs> they couldn't In get him away from now, he's great because if you think about it, by the time you get to that bar scene, Vincent Vega has got up, he's participated in a robbery, mm-hmm. he's killed a guy, mm-hmm. he's been shot at, he has killed another guy by accident, mm-hmm. he's gone over to Tarantino's place, he's cleaned out the car, he's met with the wolf and everything, he's gotten these dank, crazy-ass clothes, yep. he then goes and has a little bit of breakfast before he's in a fucking robbery. Yeah. Yep. And this is all what looks like before like 10 a.m. Yeah, it's yeah. in the morning. It's like six or seven in the morning. Yeah, exactly. Where so, somebody can go get Big Kahuna Burger and and everything. I mean, and all that before he even walks in uh, to, you know, the, the bartender's like, God damn, what's up with them clothes? And he's like, you don't even want to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, that's awesome. Pulp Fiction, good. Yes, it is. Um, One of the best soundtracks. We've said that before. Oh, yeah. yeah. Tarantino's got to be up there in the top five of directors at picking music. Mm-hmm. I would put him and probably even Cameron Crowe up there. Yeah. What's, wait, what's it going against? It's going up against Annie Hall. Another, like I said, screenplay-driven movie. Um, there's so much inventive, inventiveness in both of these screenplays. Mm-hmm. One is directed towards comedy, obviously, and drama a little bit to, to some extent. And Pulp Fiction is i guess more of a drama but it's also got lots of comedy in mm-hmm. it um uh the, i mean it's how do you compare these two movies one's a one's a big romantic comedy that we haven't seen any we don't really see movies like annie hall anymore uh all the romantic comedies these days are are the same fucking movie oh yeah um it's almost like it's almost like people look at annie hall and go well we can't achieve that so let's just do everything else (laughs) (laughs) yes let's set our sights as low as possible um i'm looking for something before we move on uh from annie hall there's there was a comment on soundcloud about woody allen and and female actresses that i wanted to read real quick Mm -hmm. oh Uh, that they had gotten nominated a bunch correct good point Um, and it is a good point uh but i'm going to dispute it <laughs> so you're basically going to call out a commenter is. in the podcast yeah so we had a comment on soundcloud about two episodes ago i mentioned or three episodes ago two episodes ago i mentioned that woody allen doesn't necessarily know how to write actresses doesn't know how to write women mm-hmm. um and i stand by that because it, typically his women his female care his women his yeah. women yeah <laughs> typically his female characters tend to be overwrought neurotic mm-hmm. um almost one-dimensional always falling in love immediately yeah divorcing at the drop of the hat that kind of thing so this commenter says if i'm not mistaken actresses have been nominated 11 times from woody allen now that's interesting uh, and i believe five one diane weiss did it twice mm-hmm. now that's a very very interesting point and i think it it speaks to some sort of the influence his movies have over the academy um i still think that they are 
caustic representations of females, and there's very little nuance uh, to his characters. Having said that, I think Annie Hall, the character Annie Hall, is probably, in fact, I would say by far his most nuanced female character. Yeah, it's written. someone who who's real and kind of fucks up and everything. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I think it's really common for men to write women as these like super saints yeah. or you know they're the always the one that have the, he- the the good head on their shoulders and mm-hmm. they're the ones that pull the men out of the dreck and all this other type of stuff uh whereas annie hall is kind of ditzy a little bit mm-hmm. she's she's not quite confident of herself even though she's gorgeous mm-hmm. and she's got a good sense of style and all that um and it, and she grows into this mature character by the end of it mm-hmm this is Woody Allen's best female character. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the ones that you're talking about, like, you know, Mira Sorvino was nominated and she was a prostitute. Yeah. All right. Where was the big nuance in that fucking character? Yeah. You know, she's uh, still great. She is great. Oh, she it. is great. But also, it's- I think you're wrong. I think Woody Allen's best female characters in Hotel Rwanda. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Didn't Don Cheadle play that character? That's how good of an actor. That's how good of an actor he is. He can play a female part and then really disappeared into the role. He really disappeared because we didn't know it was him until like seven years we didn't later. Know it was a him. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, I don't know. I'd have to review that. I I, I kind of wish. Uh, I had seen those nominations in front of me. Do you have those nominations? I don't. There's Mira Sorvino. There's um. There's Kate Blanchett. Yeah, that's right. Well, and Kate Blanchett was uh, also a good one. Like you said, it wasn't like you know the type of female you would want anybody to aspire to be, but it was. Yeah. It's not. That's not the point. That's mm-hmm. like really well well written female yeah. character. And um, I reckon Diane Keaton was she nominated for? She him? was. Yeah, okay. I, I, I was already assuming that one. So he likes working with Diane's yeah hello die yes um but anyway yeah for the most part though like it reminds me i saw i i think it was it was julia louis dreyfus who was uh on a mark Marin podcast and uh and she you know sort of like towards the end of seinfeld and everything he wanted her to be in deconstructing harry mm-hmm. and uh she was like she she apparently had been in another woody allen movie a long time ago and he didn't remember her <laughs> <laughs> and uh and but like there was a part of, there was a point where uh i think she was ju- had just become pregnant or something like that and she didn't know if she wanted to do the role or whatever and uh and she ends up saying something like okay well look i'll do the role but i don't want to end up blowing you in the movie because that's what happens with a lot of the female characters in these woody allen movies and uh and she's like so i got the part and sure enough first day i'm blowing woody allen (laughs) 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 shit oh Um, man so yeah i mean to, to say that because of the nominations that he knows how to write women is, I think, is a false equivalence. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, it's an interesting point, though. But it is an interesting yeah, point. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, it, it just goes to show that he at least writes characters that actresses want to play. Yeah, yeah. Well, we should carry it out to its logical conclusion. And sometime after the podcast, look up how many men from Woody Allen movies have been nominated. Mm, that's mm, an interesting yeah at least to carry that particular line of logic out mm-hmm. even if it still will be a false equivalent mm-hmm. all right so we've talked uh, in detail about these two movies again what's the order all right it starts with me i think i've got that right this time 
Pulp Fiction, absolutely. I love Annie Hall. Anybody that's listened to to this podcast knows how much I love Woody Allen mm-hmm. films. But you love um, to blow him too. Yeah, I yeah. do too. You're just, like, I'll take this part, but only if I can blow you. Correct. No, I, that happened like on the way over here, actually. <laughs> but uh, no, Pulp Fiction is is nearly unassailable to me. I've, again, for the the idea that we're still thinking this movie through mm-hmm. in 2017 is just bonkers to me. I love it. Yeah, it's my pick. Yeah, uh, I'm also going to go Pulp Fiction here, and mm. I think this is going to be unanimous considering what Jeremy said about Annie Hall in the past. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, I'm going to go Pulp Fiction here. I still think it's one of those movies that uh, we, yeah, uh, it, it's still something that movies should aspire to try to be a lot of, and mm. as far as excellence is concerned, I think Tarantino has taken that to all of his movies since then too. May, may to varying degrees of success i guess i yeah. mean you know hateful eight maybe not his best movie uh, ever but it's still undeniably tarantino and it's undeniably trying to achieve excellence even yep. if it may not be completely the best movie he's ever done so i like his philosophy about things i think I like the way he sees things and i think pulp fiction is just one of those it just it's going to stand the test of time girl doom, 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 doom. it's going to be unanimous i vote for the pulp and the fiction. Both, Both of them? And the fiction. <laughs> mm-hmm. The head mm-hmm. and the heart. The boy uh, and the bear. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pulp Fiction wins. Uh, Any Hall's good. Yeah. You guys know you love it more than me just because you have more attachment to mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Pulp Fiction is an adrenaline shot of a film that mm-hmm. has an adrenaline shot scene in it. And they both have Christopher Walken. Oh, interesting. They do. <laughs> Your father hid this watch in small roles. <laughs> in small roles, yeah. They only show up in one scene in both of them. He only shows up yeah. in one scene in both. That's of fascinating. Them. Yeah, now he's got this scene in Nanny Hall is hilarious. Yeah. I sometimes look at the oncoming cars and I think <laughs> just at the last minute I might pull pull my car over in the last <laughs> last second. Um, all right, so. We have two monster movies. Oh, Next. I love monster movies. Monster movies about monsters. Monster trucks. Monster trucks. Um, have you ever seen Quick Change? I have. Yeah. <laughs> it was just on yesterday. Yeah, it's a good movie. <laughs> Included in his list of demands, he wants a city bus, two helicopters, a motorcycle, and a monster truck. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a very little scene movie. I love that should have gotten more, more uh, recognition when it came out. Uh, we have two monster movies here, though. The three seed Alien goes against the 11 seed Jurassic Park. Ooh. Ooh. You Dangerous. meant literally monster movies mm-hmm. and monster in terms of their reputation and That's box right. office draw. That's correct. Jesus Christ. Dangerous right? movies. Mm-hmm. Well, we have a shitty Alien sequel coming out. Yes, we do. And a shitty Jurassic World, the Jurassic Park sequel came out a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're working on a new one. Yeah, we're working on a new one. I see all these websites yesterday and today posting the first shot from Jurassic World of B.D. Wong in his outfit. Mm-hmm. And no offense. <laughs> B.D. Wong? Yeah. <laughs> Show me Chris Pratt on set. Like, right. B.D. Wong is not an important part of any Jurassic Park movie. Yeah. All respect to the actor well, and mean, his work. Yeah, and in Jurassic Park, he was just a he was just a scientist scientist underling who was just doing what... Yeah. Now he's suddenly like... Like, he's like Hammond or yeah, something. Yeah, he's you know? the like, yeah. lead dude. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, uh, I just like, okay, all right, whatever. I don't give a shit. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, gosh, Alien is always having, so far has had to go up against The Shining, and then it's going up against Jurassic Park. It's <laughs> yeah, a rough I mean, go this is some This is some bloodbath <laughs> type of stuff here, man. Alien, of course, is 
um, incredibly suspenseful as well as Jurassic Park is. I mean, Alien. I mean, Jurassic Park may be a little bit more accessible to a a mainstream audience. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're playing the same. They're playing on the same kinds of emotions in the yeah, audience, and yeah. they're doing it in very similar ways at times. In fact, I was I was thinking this is almost like a non R rated, you know, kid friendly version of Alien, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and I I believe it is already as iconic as Alien, if not more so. Um, I think it's more so. Yeah, and it's got to be because of that reach, right? Because mm-hmm. Not not everybody. The, both the rating, R rating to PG thirteen rating, but also there's there's a whole section of movie going public that just aren't into horror, mm-hmm. and I'm one of them. That's maybe why Aliens my favorite horror movie. But I don't see a new horror trailer and go, yes, I gotta go see that. <laughs> I just avoid it until tell me, somebody tells me it's amazing. Did Jurassic Park takes sort of a scientific a science fiction. Uh, it, it takes a science fiction thing that we believe could possibly happen. Yeah, it's believable. Yeah. That's the that's the thing about it. Like I, you know, the the whole they've cl- they've cloned <laughs> they've cloned things before. Yes, oh, yeah. Just imagine if they could find enough, you know, dino, dino DNA. DNA. Um, I mean, it's it's something that we believe actually could happen, and I believe it would probably go kind of like what the movie says especially if they fill in the gaps with the dna of a frog yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely because then the, all the dinosaurs would have cloaca yes they would <laughs> what's the plural of cloaca is it cloaca i think it's with the e at the end so maybe cloaca cloaca something like that maybe bear your assignment for next week i don't know it's to find out the pluralization of cloaca i can't wait my yeah. search history science, looks fucked up science finds a way <laughs> Barrett. that's right via the cloaca yes um but in, in Alien, we're still we're still kind of like we're still wondering about that, right? We're still wondering if there are there are other life forms out there. Mm-hmm. There, you know, um, and if they want to face hug us, I think I think most of us realize statistically there probably are. Mm-hmm. Um, but would they be like this? Maybe. There can't not be. Yeah, just if you if you don't think that it's possible, you don't math. <laughs> no, yeah, <laughs> right. And you exactly. have no concept of how big the universe is. Yes. Right. To think that we're special, we're the only ones. Yes. The universe is big, insanely big. You just <laughs> no, don't know how big it is. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, but the the alien in this is just. It's so terrifying. Unfortunately, I think it's been watered down with all the sequels because yep. now we, I mean, we know what the alien looks like. They make this big money shot on the end of this alien covenant trailer. He's on the outside of the ship and everything. Mm-hmm. Like, yep. I've, I've seen that alien before. Yeah. yeah that's scary. <laughs> yeah. It's almost, we were talking about the prequels. It's almost the same kind of thing here. Like Ridley Scott said, I think people really want to see the origin of these aliens. Yeah. What they looked like for three movies before. Yeah. And, I don't think we did. Nobody does. And it's the same problem with the sequels is that, or the same problem with the prequels is that as these movies go ahead, and even though they happened before this movie, they look so much sheenier yeah. and brighter and all that shit. Well, when the reason that it was so terrifying, or one of the big reasons, was how dark and mysterious and shadowy everything right. was in Alien. Absolutely right. And also, the thing about prequels, and I've read this sort of argument before. We, uh, we like the characters. We this is sort of the Patton Oswalt thing, like you know when he's talking about the Star Wars prequels. Mm-hmm. We like what we like. We like Darth Vader. We don't want to know what he was like before that. Yeah. Um. The we like these things because they have already advanced to a character that we like. When you go to that before time, right? 
those aren't the interesting people and those aren't those aren't the ones we, we know they later become that interesting but they're not interesting themselves mm. as they go anyway. kind of making me rethink my whole young morpheus idea now well here's the one thing that'll save you because i think the only time that i can remember a prequel really getting it right but it was it was couched in a perspective story it was godfather part two Mm-hmm. Uh, when you see young Vito Corleone, because that's such a compelling story yeah. about the, his rise to power and everything. But that was one in a million, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's that's you, you typically don't want to see. Now, when it's somebody as you know as as well respected and high level as Don Corleone, you could equate that maybe to Morpheus, yeah. And to see like ah, how do we how do we get to this point? Because he's not a horror villain. He's not like a character. He's not like a an evil guy. He's not. Finding the origins of Michael Myers or something like if that. If you could you know? give me a, a movie or three that starts with a Morpheus that is the opposite of a believer in the in Oracle and all things mysticism, and he's just almost Scully from mm-hmm. X Files, and we get to see the transformation of that to the Prophet Morpheus as we know him, that could be compelling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But still, ninety nine times out of a hundred, prequels are gonna be un- unfulfilling exactly right mm-hmm. well unfortunately we're off topic and that's my fault um <laughs> but uh the thing is alien and jurassic park are both suspenseful in, in the, almost the same way like there's a we know that there's something out there we don't know where it's going to come from right. because we got this jungle in jurassic park and we have this multi-faceted like you know planet on alien and everything well and there's no playbook Right. No one's ever encountered this situation before in both mm-hmm. movies. So there's not, it's not like they have anything to rely on. How do we do this? They're just flying by the seat of their pants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so of these two movies, what are we going to do? It's me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go alien on this one. Ah. Um, it's still it's it's hard for me to pick against this one just based on its its heightened suspense factor. Uh, and Jurassic Park definitely has, I think, more of a sense of wonder. Like, you definitely look at these dinosaurs and go, that's fucking real, and it's, and it's great. But this is, you know, I recently read that these aliens are H.R. Uh, Giger's nightmares, basically. This is like, <laughs> like his sort of drug-fueled nightmares. He came up with these aliens and everything. But uh, anyway, like... I mean, again, we're we're talking about two movies that I feel are pretty much equal, mm-hmm. but I think Alien is a little bit more, a um, little bit more of a film with better characters in it and a little bit more suspense and scarier. So I'm going to go with that one. Mm-hmm. It's like fifty-fifty. Yeah, right. <laughs> you use the word wonder. Uh, Jurassic Park came out in 1993. I was 18. Mm-hmm. Still, just young enough to experience wonder mm-hmm. from a movie. I don't. I don't think I can anymore. Now I've kind of seen what all I need to see. To I've seen too much. I can still look at a, a movie that's great, right? But I'm not going to come out feeling like a five year old again. Mm-hmm. Jurassic Park was the last movie that gave me that kind of childlike wonder, uh, and I think 50 years from now, um, that you know they'll both still be considered equally great. Mm-hmm. And this is just a coin toss i'm going jurassic park oh and that officially means all my favorite horror movies have been knocked out of this thing well not necessarily i still have a vote (laughs) shit now i influenced it subconsciously it's almost like i want to give it to alien because of sigourney weaver Mm because it wasn't even that she was so great in it and so foxy in it Mm -hmm. don't mean to be reductive but like and she was smart and she was heroic Mm -hmm. and all this stuff and 
But most importantly, point, hot. yeah, but most importantly, hot. But at that point, I mean, 1979, you're not, you don't have a whole lot of female, like, tough protagonists in mainstream nope. sci fi films, certainly mm-hmm. at that point. Um, but then Jurassic Park uh, had ticked all the boxes of, of all of the, uh, the wonder, the effects, the directing, the dialogue uh, is is maybe not all the way up there, um, but Jeff Goldblum is is so charming in it. I'm going to give it to Jurassic Park. All right. Um, so Jurassic Park moves on. That's a tough one. That was a tough one. Mm-hmm. That is a tough one. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't have any problem with that. Um, Jurassic Park is, I mean, ultimately, as, as far as technical achievement, it's far above it the as far as like exciting motion picture it's far above because aliens got let's let's face it like two or three scenes but it's always there that yeah. that sort of that that fear is always there whereas in Jurassic Park it's you know I guess it's like once things start getting rolling you know it's ne- it never <laughs> it never stops but in alien it's just like I just you get that feeling that it's just you know, any moment because of the chest bursting scene, yeah. it can come out of anywhere. Um, but that's why I picked Alien on that. But I, I have no problem with Jurassic Park going. All right. So the next one is the five seed, The Untouchables, versus the four seed, The Social Network. Woo! Woo! Sassy one. Yes, definitely. Um, <sighs> you know what about The Social Network that was very similar to what Chris mentioned in, in uh, Whiplash? last episode where miles teller's character asks his his ex-girlfriend to come out and see him in that performance and doesn't understand why she would say no and like why why he hurt her feelings so much because that's that's his perspective you know he thinks that well that that's over and done with you you should you can come back to me now Mm -hmm. uh the same thing could be said with uh jesse eisenberg's character mark zuckerberg from social network Mm -hmm. because after he's you know, launch the Facebook and everything, and they end up hooking up with these these girls at the bar and everything. This is immediately post blowjob that uh, he comes out and he sees Rooney Mara, his his ex girlfriend, mm-hmm. and he's like, you know, let's go talk. Yeah, and she's like, no, you you were insulting my cup size online, like that's an ink, all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, I just I just feel like if we could go somewhere and I could talk to you, you know, that would be. She's like, fuck you, man. She's yeah. like, you called me a bitch on the internet. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah. and uh, he has the same kind of reaction. He's like, "Why won't you just go talk to me? I mean, yeah. everything's fine now, right?" Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> I just got a blowjob from another girl. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Is it cool if we go chat for a little bit? Yeah, <laughs> I always interpreted that scene uh, as something beyond a blowjob. Mm, could be, maybe could not. Be. I mean, mm-hmm. you just see them. Yeah, you see that. bathroom stalls. Yeah, and then it cuts to the boys grinning outside, which is a great scene. Yeah, so they're just. <laughs> quietly grinning and fucking, sorry there's some ladies in there freshening up yeah and the guy's like all right <laughs> uh so I, I the untouchables to me is uh is a movie that is definitely director driven mm-hmm. this is obviously he's got a screenplay from david mamet and he's no slouch but mm-hmm. Uh, and there's great lines in it, or whatever. Social Network is very screenplay driven because yeah. Aaron Sorkin is the guy behind this. It's so odd to me every time I think about that when you have a director like David Fincher behind the camera, and yet the screenwriter is the guy who's definitely in control on this <laughs> movie. Like, as far as where it goes and everything, I mean, obviously Fincher did a lot of great things with a social network. It's just that the screenplay itself is so good. Mm-hmm. It almost pretty much forces you to do what you did. So, 
Um, I, I, I love the, the dialogue in that movie. It's just, it's, mm-hmm. I mean, again, we're talking about nerds creating a website that it's a social media website. If somebody came up to you and said, I'm making a social media website, you'd like chastise that guy and ignore him and shun him because he's such a nerd <laughs> and everything. <laughs> that's exactly what happened to me i'm just i'm just kidding um no it's it's just that how do they make that exciting is basically what i'm getting at they how do you you make that exciting and they made this almost thriller like like uh you know like it's it's a essentially a drama with some comedy here and there but yeah how do you make that you know where i'm like on the edge of my seat almost like what's gonna happen it's uh it's a magic trick the untouchables is just God. you watch this movie seriously De Palma must have been just like I I'm gonna knock this shit out of the park yeah. guys like yeah. I don't know what the De Palma had a had a pretty good career before Untouchables obviously um, but I want to know what made him on this movie just go for it all on this just every single bit of it is just I mean, it's it's masterclass directing. It's amazing. Yeah, he swings for it. Mm-hmm. Because every scene either sets up a huge set piece or it is a <laughs> huge set piece, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, you can get lost. Like, I'm sure people have picked apart this movie uh, and teased apart all the different... Yeah, you're right. It's, it's very technique-driven, but there's a great story in there, too. And there's great performances, the whole thing, all the way through. Do, 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 do. <laughs> Untouchables has one of the greatest soundtracks ever. It is. Yeah. Ever. It pumps me up. You know, I was watching Social Network the other day because we had talked about it recently and I said, I'm going to watch this again soon. Mm-hmm. And it it's really like verbal sparring. Yep. It's like fencing with words, really, is what makes this movie so kinetic and drives all the tension. But one thing stood out to me that really bothered me that I had not remembered from previous viewings. And it's a very end when... The girl from the Office spinoff show. Rashida Jones? Yes. Rashida (laughs) Jones says, you're not an asshole, Mark. You're just trying so very hard to be. No, he's a fucking asshole. (laughs) He's a fucking asshole. Right? Why? I feel like that was what the movie put in there to try and make Mark Zuckerberg in real life feel better about this movie happening. Yeah. Was that... Oh, we're not gonna. We're gonna say you're not an asshole. But you're, it's just all an act because you want you're a nerd and you want to fit in. And no, he's a fucking total dick. Yeah, what does he do in this movie, movie to to redeem himself? Nothing. Besides nothing. Put this out in the world. He does nothing. I mean, he he screws everybody uh, somehow, some way in mm-hmm. this. Uh, uh, obviously, uh, Eduardo is somebody who gets destroyed in this movie, and it's the reason why we even have. Uh, one of our lawsuits and everything. Uh, he just, you know, he destroys the Winklevoss twins. Mm-hmm. He destroys Rooney Mara's character. At the end, he's refreshing her Facebook page over and over and over. Yeah. That's literally all he's yeah, doing is to, to have that conversation. Just to see if she's <laughs> accepted his friend request and everything. Yeah, right? it's just goofy. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, these movies are um, amazing, but I already know which way I'm voting. 
All right. Well, it's you first. Is it really? It is. Oh, Untouchables. Ah. Oh. Um, hey, buddy. Uh, hey, buddy. Uh, <laughs> hey, fuck you, buddy. <laughs> Don't kick the baby. Uh, Untouchables, it's like like you said. I think we've mentioned, every time we mentioned this movie, you've you've brought up how much he directs his ass it, off in it's, that. It's, a, it's, it's unavoidable. Like, yeah. I, every time I watch this movie, I'm, go- I'm like, my jaw drops at how much camera movement and, like, how everything looks just amazing in it like there's so many scenes in this i mean there's some scenes where he could have just shot this normally yeah and he yeah. doesn't he i shoots. have a feeling yeah that there was like an assistant director who was like hey we're going out to shoot some b-roll and he was like b-roll yeah. i'm gonna fucking shoot everything <laughs> bring in the steady it's, cam bring in the- that's what it feels like yeah. it does i mean i always always harken back to that that scene where he's they get the 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 guy in the white gangster suit the yeah nitty Frank nitty, nitty. When they get him out of the courtroom and everything, and just like the the cameras set on this low yeah, angle coming yeah. out, and it's just like this giant cathedral of a court, yeah. you know. And I, I just always go back to stuff like that, and just I mean, there's a million scenes that are just like, my God, man, you must have just like storyboarded this and like just feverishly wanted to be on this movie every day. You probably shot, I mean. I would love to know what got into him yeah. to make this. Because before this, he made great movies. Yep. He had a lot of technique and stuff like that. You know, you saw it in Carrie, Body Double, all that. But, man, this movie is just off the chain. It, it really is. is. So, anyway, what's who's the next vote? Yeah, so the next vote is mine. Um, it is, The Untouchables is a directorial feat and an artistic feat. The, uh, the Social Network is a dialogue and character-driven feat. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really, it's interesting because you could kind of pit those against each other depending on what you like more. And I like the character-driven, dialogue-based stuff more. So mm-hmm. I, every time this happened to me, I had a place to go on last weekend, had the social network on, and I was like, had one foot out the door, but I was still watching it. And it like it took me an extra five minutes mm-hmm. to, to get it. So that's my pick. Oh, I love it so much. Yeah, I love it too, but I'm going to go Untouchables mm-hmm. on this one. Um, yeah, uh, I don't know if there's anything bad, any sort of in an arbitration way to say uh, about either of these movies. Because mm-hmm. um, the social network is a movie that's, I think it's over two hours. And it doesn't yeah. feel that way. No, not at all. Uh, and that's hard to do, man. It's hard to make a movie these days that goes over two hours that you're like not looking at, at your watch or mm-hmm. looking at your phone or whatever. So, but uh, yeah, I'm gonna go Untouchables because it just sends to a. I mean, just based on the freaking uh, subway scene alone, I'm just <laughs> the train scene alone. I'm gonna <laughs> the train station scene. Yeah, now, how do you beat that shit, man? You can. <laughs> like so... I said, you could give me an hour and a half of boredom, and then give me that, and I'm still calling it one of the best <laughs> movies ever. Yeah. Um. Okay. So we obviously have some tremendous heavy hitters in this round. No kidding. For the third round. Uh. It's going to be Schindler's List versus The Untouchables. Oh, mm-hmm. Jesus. And it's going to be Jurassic Park versus Pulp Fiction. Wow. Uh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, there's three movies from 93 and 94 in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That must have been our wheelhouse. Yeah. <laughs> Probably so. Yeah. Um, I mean, we had, we had a lot of stuff from the 70s fall by the wayside by some of these movies. Uh, Alien knocked off The Shining, then Jurassic Park beat Alien. So. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so, all right, oh, oh my God. 
So number two, The Matrix versus mm-hmm. number seven, Brokeback Mountain. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, once again, you would never, ever, ever <laughs> have these two movies as the choices. Uh, Did you see that guy on SoundCloud who said Brokeback Matrix? I wish I could quit you, Mr. Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> Gave me a good chuckle. That's awesome. Uh, I did not see that, but thank you for telling me. That's awesome. Uh, the uh, the Matrix, I think, is still one of our our best very best sci-fi movies obviously uh it's only it's only 18 years old yeah uh but you know still still has its fingerprints and everything that we watch uh today even ex machina has some matrix yes a little bit yeah just a just a bit um, when they had that bullet time scene oh yeah, yeah oh yeah so totally awesome. and oh, that part where don donald gleason commandeers a helicopter mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah exactly totally. <laughs> um but uh yeah the matrix is great and uh, we talked a lot about brokeback mountain in in the uh, recent uh, podcast mm-hmm. uh so uh, where do we start on this i mean we, we've talked about both of these movies extensively mm-hmm. yeah we have i don't know because I adore them both. They they trigger different things in me, mm. as they should. Yeah, I would hope so. <laughs> <laughs> if you get the same feelings in watching The Matrix as you do from Brokeback Mountain, there's some fucked up shit yeah, going on. Yeah, there's yeah. definitely some fucked up shit. Um, I got nothing to say. I, I, literally, I literally, I'm ready to vote when you guys are. Um, you guys can talk about either movie you want. I adore them both. I know which way I'm going to vote. I'm already sad about it. Well, everything. and I think because we've talked about these movies very recently, mm-hmm. it's it's hard to start conjuring more things the about whole, them. The whole bracket will be that way. Yeah, it will be. Uh, so, um, so who's first? That would be me. Okay. The Matrix. The Matrix. Uh, for real. Brookback Mountain. Man, uh, you know... As we were talking about this when it was up against Zero Dark Thirty, uh, you guys really... I, I've seen this once um, back around. I think I saw it in the theater. So I had the the scope and, and how, how beautiful it was and everything. Um, but it never really connected with me emotionally like it did with you guys. Um, not to say that it wasn't great. I was a little bit weepy at the end. Uh, but The Matrix, man, like grabbed you and pulled you by the you know shortened curlies to the end. It was awesome. Yeah. So that's my pick. All right, uh, I am also going the Matrix here. That's yeah. uh, a that is a very difficult movie to go against here. No matter how important your movie is, um, I think the Matrix just achieves a certain level of uh, excitement and ideas all at the all at once. Brokeback Mountain at the end is a very simple movie, and that's mm. nothing against it. Uh, it's just that the matrix has a little bit more to it, I think overall. And if we're picking these movies that sort of try to ascend to a higher plane, matrix is going to win that on this. Yeah. And you know, I, I don't think I should make this comparison cause it's going to come out wrong, but even the matrix, I think has a lot of good things to say, similar to what Brokeback is saying regarding diversity uh, maybe the Matrix creators were more at this moment thinking racial diversity because mm-hmm. the the people that are in Zion, people that staff these ships, there's a lot of racial diversity mm-hmm. there, and that directors have gone on record as that being important to them. But then, uh, so I, I think there are things and themes in this movie that support the equality 
which is the main theme mm-hmm. of Brokeback Mountain. I'm not trying to say The Matrix has a powerful pro-gay message. Yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to say if you're looking for that kind of you know subtle diversity, it's there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this movie, when this movie came out, I could not look you straight in the face and say, this is a possible thing. Mm-hmm. Today, I kind of believe that in the future, this could be possible. Yeah. Well, and that's amazing. It's sort of going to what you're saying there, when you watch the uh, terrible sequels to this movie, mm-hmm. uh, the the cave party scene yeah. sort of, in a way, kind of lets you know that this is a society that's sort of... It's, it believes in humans. It's yeah. not. It's yeah. not think of anything in race or sexuality or anything. Oh, like and that. there's same sex couples in that scene too. Yes, the movies do not have this kind of like right. overreaching yeah. message. I don't want to get to that point. I just want to back up Jeremy what he says here, uh, because you know you're not you're not wrong. Right. Obviously, this is. I mean, but it it's more of a human story than it is a any kind of race story or anything like that. Yeah, so. no, I agree with that. So, um, no, and and you're right. This is not. Outside the realm of possibilities, Stephen Hawking actually has gone on record. Elon Musk, everybody is saying that the the biggest threat to humanity is not is not what you think it is. It's AI. Yeah, it's super AI. Uh, super AI. And if you watch, it's a bit of an aside. But if you watch the Masters all weekend, like Jeremy and I probably did, uh, off and on, uh, there was all these things about Watson. And how yeah. Watson is oh, identifying yeah. and curing diseases and all this stuff, and and he's become more super advanced than he ever has. And they're like all buddy buddy, like, "Hey, Watson, hey, did you get that joke?" Ah, ha ha ha. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, 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 the joke's on us, yeah, motherfuckers. Exactly. That yeah. motherfucker's yeah. how, isn't it? <laughs> What's up with the vending machine? And Watson goes, "We are not on speaking terms." <laughs> yeah, you know he fucked that bitch. Yeah. Uh, you know he fucked that bitch. Is what he just said. <laughs> Watson is a dirty dog. <laughs> Watson is the, oh, oh, the man oh. slut of the computer That's world. That's right. Um, but that Matrix just just gets so many of my brain cells moving. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the side that wants to wonder about sci-fi and fantasy, the deep thinking side wants to wonder about existence and what it actually means. Because if we, were, if we are living in a simulation, and I'm not saying I think we are. I'm just saying I think that theoretically it's possible that we could be and we wouldn't know it. Uh, but if we are, does that mean we don't exist? Does that mean the choices we make aren't still reflected by reflective of our own heart and character? Way deeper than anybody wants to get on this podcast. But the movie makes me think about that shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I'm Matrix all the way. By the way, did they ever discuss the uh, uh, did they ever discuss childbirth in the Matrix movies? Because that to me is something that's. I maybe possibly skirted over a little bit because in terms of where do they get the well where do babies come from right well they had a baby in in the actual battery pod so they have to make it to where a woman feels childbirth but i assume they can artificially inseminate her through the pod Mm. via the cloaca yeah the cloaca yeah absolutely the machine the squiddy cloaca the whole thing's the cloaca man (laughs) the whole thing is uh but anyway i don't know he says human beings are no longer born they're grown Mm -hmm. oh yeah so that means i'm guessing they're lab babies that means women are going through childbirth and they're and the aliens are really being dicks because of that yeah (laughs) they're they're machines not aliens oh yeah that's right (laughs) they're machines but yeah they're being dicks man they are. 
I don't think anybody's saying the machines are anything but dicks. But, yeah, but, I but mean, they are very one zero oriented kind of entity. But I mean, I'm just saying. Yeah. I'm just saying. Well, we got to make it look like women really have, have give birth here and everything. I mean, with all the pain and everything. <laughs> yeah, that's that's some dickish stuff, right? That's that is- that's that's the dickishest thing about the Matrix. Now I just realized. Yeah, <laughs> they put women through nine months of pregnancy needlessly yeah. because they can already just grow the baby back in the yeah. cloaca lab. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The cloaca lab. <laughs> I the cloaca cloaca memorial cloaca is going to become the new bad santa on this podcast i have a feeling i think you're right because um, it's dirty but it's not yes yeah. nobody know it's like a medical term but we know it's dirty so okay so you picked the matrix yeah, i huh? picked the matrix okay nobody was surprised all right so that leads us to this fucking doozy number three the usual suspects versus the six seed x machina uh, wow fuck me wow uh, now, see, I'm already wanting to. I'm already wondering about like the recency, equivalency, and bias and whatnot. Like, because that's Kamakana is so recent. Yeah, but it's so head and shoulders above the kind of sci-fi we've been getting lately mm-hmm. that I, I am pretty ready to call it a classic already, even though it was 2015. Mm-hmm. Oh Jesus! And then Usual Suspects is a classic. Yes, it is. How the fuck are we gonna do this? Yeah. Um. I. I. I've. I've already decided what I'm mm-hmm. gonna pick, but. Uh, so how, how much of the usual suspects is that surprise ending? How much of this movie would we enjoy? Like, would, would we consider this a classic if it wasn't for that? Now, I know that's some silly ass shit that I'm bringing up. No, it's, you're absolutely right but, because it's got a great plot thread. But isn't that a, isn't that something that almost, I don't know, unfairly makes that movie, uh, great in many people's eyes maybe yeah what's the what's the movie uh, the guy has a penis at the end crying game crying game. Uh, i have long argued that about that movie mm-hmm. that if it didn't have that shocking talked about twist i don't know that the first hour and a half of that movie is really very entertaining although the no. te- though technically the crying game the surprise comes earlier than the ending well see it's been that long since i've seen it yeah it comes like about Oh, 45 minutes to an hour into it. Yeah, but I mean, okay. So if, yes, if you remove the twist, I, I agree. I don't think it's a classic. It's nowhere where near, even though it's it's beautiful it's and it's great. Film. Yeah. And who is Kaiser Soze becomes basically the thread that I think sort of pulls this movie above most heist movies that we remember. And of course, the performances in it, we've got a lot of like great actors in this. Mm-hmm. Now, to think that they got Kevin Spacey, before he was really Kevin Spacey, Benicio del Toro, Toro before he was Benicio, Gabriel Byrne had already had like a pretty big career. At Kevin Pollock before his She's All That fame. That's right. Mm-hmm. This is like you, <laughs> Lieutenant Weinberg. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, and the great Stephen Baldwin, of course, the great Stephen Baldwin <laughs> before he became Stephen Baldwin. <laughs> hey, you know, it sucks about he, being a Baldwin. Nothing. <laughs> um, but uh it's i uh, this is the reason why when it comes to voting here and i've been thinking about these movies like this because shawshank obviously has a big emotional surprise and uh you know dramatic swelling of an ending that sort of elevates it above Mm. what it has been i mean it's a great movie all the way i think shawshank is a little bit better of a movie than usual suspects up to the point of their respective surprises or whatever uh-huh. um but 
I, I've been thinking about this these about these movies. How much do we pin on these great moments being the end all to their being a classic? But that that is so inextricably tied. Like if you, it's impossible to separate. Them. Yeah, it, I'm just trying to say. You know, where do, where are we with this movie without a surprise? That's what I think. That's what puts it over the top. Okay, so we you see a billion movies at this point. We've mm-hmm. seen just so many movies. We've seen so many heist capers. We've seen so many ensemble dramas and stuff like that. That you have to have something to separate it. It's like if you have this wonderful dish, this like fish dish or something like that, uh, that has a certain element in it, a certain ingredient that puts it over the top you've had a million salmon fillets but mm-hmm. this one like has nutmeg in it or something like that right. i don't know like, it, it is it is part of the dish <laughs> that makes it so great said fish dish. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah nutmeg. i mean i think it, it needed all these things to work together with the the script with kevin spacey's performance and that whole reading the the bulletin board moment to tie all that stuff together. It makes mm-hmm. you want to go back versus throwing it in on a Sunday afternoon and be like, oh, it's a good heist film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so how's the voting going on this one? Okay, I'm going to go ex machina on this one. Wow. Mm-hmm. The I love The Usual Suspects. And again, you're talking about what if these two movies were in front of you, which one are you going to pick? I'm going to pick Usual Suspects probably about 50% of the time. I'm going to mm-hmm. pick ex machina about 50% of the time. But ex machina, what are you going to do with the other 10%? Mm, that's a good question you must not believe in aliens yes um they're machines jeremy um <laughs> well, we are wrapping this episode in on itself pretty hard yes we are uh no ultimately where have i been on this second round what what movies are trying to ascend to a different level on each in each instance and i have to pick ex machina here because the Usual Suspects has a great surprise ending that I think colors our perception of the com- complete greatness of it. And The Usual Suspects is a great movie before then. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say... I don't, it's because of the, the arbitration process. Yeah, yeah, That we're like sort of downgrading movies when they don't need to be. Um, but I I just think that, that that surprise ending gives it more of a... Uh, of a push and we think fondly on this movie more than we would normally i think you're right because and i think it's even maybe i would go even a little stronger because the entire script is pushing us to this reveal Mm -hmm. who is this kaiser soze who put us together in this lineup who has us together in this room with a pool table who knows everything we've ever done that's terrible it the mystery is driving all of that Mm -hmm. and so i wonder how much of that heist would even be interesting if there wasn't something like that driving it, um, and I'm going to vote for Ex Machina because mm-hmm. I could be wrong. I've been wrong a lot. <laughs> it's been known to happen, but I think we have like a wonderkind here. I think Alex mm-hmm. Garland is going to be one of our greatest directors. I mm-hmm. just think he he overshot any expectations by such a huge margin with this film. <clears throat> if he do- if he doesn't become a great director, it's his own fault because his first movie was too damn good. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm going to vote for The Usual Suspects, not that it matters, but I think that it has more elements of a little bit of comedy, heist, drama. It's a little more n- nutmeg. Suspense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's got the nutmeg. It's got that <laughs> nut special nutmeg flavor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that makes this fish dish sing for me yeah. in my mouth. Courtesy of uh, Gus Fring, who is in the movie. Yeah. Ah, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Polos hermanos. Uh, but yeah, man, I, I love... 
I love Ex Machina, and obviously that's going to move on. I'll probably vote for it in the next round, but I think uh, Usual Suspects is is just uh, an achievement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It is, and uh, and just in this case, I was sitting there going, "Am I? Do we love this movie?" But I mean, again, you can't separate right the the that it's it's ludicrous to think about that. You can't separate the surprise ending from the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that it gives it a status that maybe undeserved at times because we think so fondly back to that Mm -hmm. mostly we think back to that mostly about that movie we don't think much about a lot of the other stuff that goes on even though a lot of it's great you know the there's a that you know that world's greatest taxi service heist is great i love that and there's a lot of really good dialogue and it's funny a lot of times Mm -hmm. it's just give me the keys but i think every time we think about usual suspects we're thinking about that ending we're thinking about verbal walking on the sidewalk as limp turns into not a limp and Mm -hmm. uh everything like that so but i think ex machina went a little bit above and beyond on that again (laughs) what the hell (laughs) brackets Um, be crazy that's right. Uh, our final one uh, is the five seed, The Incredibles, versus the four seed, Empire Strikes Back. Woo-hoo, woo-hoo, woo-hoo. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm about to show some true colors here. <laughs> I, but I'll just tell you right now, I'm voting The Incredibles. You guys ah. can debate and discuss from there. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't care if that's heresy. Uh, Empire is the best Star Wars movie. It ain't perfect. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, it doesn't, I don't think, work for everyone as well as something like The Incredibles does. The Incredibles, to me, represents the very best of what Pixar can offer. Mm-hmm. Finding the right cast, getting the right composer, getting the right director, like the right gorgeous animation, and a solid story. Mm-hmm. And they they can do most of those most of the time. Like, Good Dinosaur has all of those except a solid story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, this represents, you know, the pinnacle of what they can do and uh you know nervously optimistic about incredibles 2 mm-hmm. um but we talked about this very recently i think i wear my heart on my sleeve with this movie and there's no way i could vote against it right now at least not at least not this guy yeah i would say that empire strikes back is the very best that star wars can do yeah absolutely i know that in fact i think we we got a lot of comments on soundcloud about ranking the star wars movies and a lot of people put a rogue one up there Told you. As in, like, number one or number two. I told you. Uh, a lot of Force Awakens. Talk about love. some recency bias, yeah. by the way. Oh, my God. Gotta be it. I, 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 uh, uh, come come, come back to us in 10 years, and you think it, you tell me if you think Rogue One, is, it holds up. Yeah. Uh, but as we've seen for the last however long it's been, um, 37 years, um, Empire Strikes Back holds up really fucking well. It does. And I don't think it has really anything, and this is a play on words, but I don't think it has anything wrong with it, anything major wrong with it. Um, it's it, All those scenes, all those things put together, we were running it down when we were talking about this earlier, and like I had forgotten the, the whole Yoda thing, you know, mm-hmm. which is such a huge thing. Um, and that whole training montage doesn't seem like a training montage. It feels like he's really trying to get Luke in this headspace that by his age typically is just accepted mm-hmm. by by kids who have grown up with it, the, the ones that he's trained. Right. Uh, but he has to totally blow this fucking guy's mind and put that back together again. Right. The, that's, there's something to that uh, you must unlearn what you've learned mm-hmm. because, yeah, it, it, 
that's one thing that throughout the Star Wars movies has always made sense to me about getting them young to do these to do these things because when you're young, you can believe anything is yeah. possible. Yeah. When you're Luke's age, you've realized the harsh realities of, of life yeah. and everything. You were you were on the fucking farm with Uncle Owen. Moisture farm. You're on a moisture. <laughs> you were on a moisture goddamn farm <laughs> with with Uncle Owen, and er, and like every year he was like fucking pulling the football away from you and everything, and uh and uh and so like when someone tells you you can do these things, you can do it. Yeah, <laughs> let's put Waterboy reference in that Empire Strikes Back. Why don't we? Um, you know, uh, you it is it is difficult for somebody like that to do that, it, and it is amazing that he's able to do all that. I can be your backpack while you run. <laughs> <laughs> I did want to add. For me, the issue with Empire has always been pacing because I feel like the beginning and the end are are up, mm-hmm. and everything in the middle just kind of feels lully. Like, the training montage is important, Mm -hmm. and I get it. The Han and the asteroid that has a tongue monster thing in it. It feels like we're wasting time here. Just giving Han something to do until we can get everybody back together at the end. Mm -hmm. Um, And also, Yoda doesn't want to train Luke, right? Like, Nope. mm -hmm. He's kind of forced to. And in that way, their relationship is very bad Santa-like. It's because, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Yoda's a fucking drunk. Mainly <laughs> mainly because Obi-Wan has incriminating photos of Yoda. That's the reason why Yoda has to go through with these. Now that's a motherfucker that has a cloaca. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. He does. He's in there like his cloaca all gorgeous. You can just tell in his face that cloaca having motherfucker. <laughs> Um, you know what that always gets me though in empire strikes back is is when he's when obi-wan you know as ghost obi-wan comes onto the screen and he's like that boy is our last hope and and uh and yoda is looking up to the sky and there's that that just wonderful light uh-huh. and then darkness that keeps yeah. coming over and everything he's like no there is another you know it always gives me chill bumps right. when i see that scene yeah uh it is uh it but you know again we're when we're talking about these movies we can't talk about just a scene or two we have to talk about you know the whole thing right? mm-hmm. okay whose vote is it well i was supposed already, to go first or you were going first okay. and i already voted incredibles because okay. it's awesome and betterer oh okay <laughs> not that i'm trying to influence your vote or anything mm-hmm. by staring directly at you where is my super suit? <laughs> you sound exactly Why like Samuel. Why do you need huh? to know? You sound very Samuel L. Jackson. Oh, really? I don't. I, I don't feel like I'm doing a good one there, but uh, I'll take it. Uh, you sounded like Senior Daddy. What's his name? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Senior Love Daddy. Senior Love Daddy. Ah, uh, sorry. Okay. Barrett is going to the bathroom right now. <sighs> Yes. Excuse me, may I use the restroom? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Empire Strikes Back. Mm. Man, this is a tough call. Um, you're right. You're right that it does sag a little bit in the middle. But I love that Dagobah stuff so much uh, that I think that props it up. It's more, really for me, it's much more about the Han and the asteroid thing. Yeah, it just yeah, feels yeah. like somebody said, we've got to have something for Han to do while yeah, we're doing this. Yeah. yeah. So. No, Fuck I agree. Me. Okay, so yep. this is a really tough one. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. I like these movies equally. Yep. Uh I think that let's see. 
Let me try to think. Let me think this out a little bit. Mm -hmm. Which movie's trying to ascend mm -hmm. out of this? Out of this, The Incredibles is obviously Pixar's best. I believe. I think I've. I think I've talked myself into that. And Pixar is uniformly excellent. Mm -hmm. This is a great action movie. It's a great animated movie. There's everything about it is awesome to me. And Empire Strikes Back. I mean, it's got all these, uh, all these famous moments in mm -hmm. it. And like I said, the the scene with the no, there is another, and all yeah. that. It's just it always gives me chills. I've never felt that way in The Incredibles. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna go Empire Strikes Back. Oh! oh! <laughs> <laughs> well, I just throw my empty water bottle in disgust. Um. This bracket is fucking me. It's bending me over, and it's fucking me. I. Have went back and forth during that conversation. Yeah, which one was better? Oh. And there, there's the answer is neither. The answer is neither of them are better. One of them has to go. You cloaca goblin. <laughs> That's racist. Fart monster. <laughs> That's so racist. How do you, how do you know that there aren't a lot of people out there who prefer cloaca to you know normal? They're human, frogs. I don't have you, to worry about uh, hurting their you're feelings. Right. You're I don't right. mind being frogsist. Uh, God damn it. I I don't Empire Strikes Back in the middle you're talking about a movie that in the middle of a tremendous franchise decided we're going to be more than this. Mm -hmm. We're going to be more than what just a regular space opera type even though that's the most space operaist type. Yeah, of, no kidding. Yeah. Well, but we're going to be more than that. We're going to ascend on this. And there's a lot of yeah, sure there's a surprise in this too. It's one of the biggest surprises in in one of our in movie history. I I just don't think there's ever been a, there in the Incredibles. I've I, it's I think the action is on par, and I think the humor is obviously way more above Empire Strikes Back, which yeah. is which is you know a much darker movie. But um, there are moments in Empire that actually just give me chills, and I don't think I've ever gotten that in the Incredibles. And again, the Incredibles isn't going for chills, yeah. so I'm really voting against something it can't be and that's it and that's unfair it's unfair the whole voting process is unfair you know it's like out of order this whole court's out of order this full trial's out of order you uh, you are bastard people and i hate your ass faces yeah well <laughs> you are a pain in my assholes look it, it wasn't going to get easier for the incredibles because uh it would have gone up against back to the future boom so back to the future again so you basically just gave yourself a way hard choice yeah Back to the Future against Empire Strikes Back is the next matchup wow. in the third round. Jesus. And That's then, the 80s -ist fucking matchup that we could come up with. It sure is. Yeah, so we have Back to the Future and Empire Strikes Back in the in the one round, and then we have Ex Machina versus The Matrix. I <laughs> just damn. I just compared things in uh, the matrix to x mock you did there are so many things about existence going on yeah. in that. we'll have that discussion the next time yeah <laughs> that's yeah. the same bat time there's a there's a tease for you same bat channel okay so uh we we i think we all agree that we have some very very tough choices we do. i don't think there was one matchup that i just mentioned today that's in the third round in the sweet 16 that isn't going to just destroy us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be an ass kicker. Yeah, I mean, you know. <laughs> We're all going to be slumped out. Yeah, out. seriously. <laughs> I'm taking some of this personally. So we basically, uh, you know, went through that second round. That's the whole episode. We done did it. For your ass. Yep. That's right. Because, uh, you know, we, we only gave you a taste 
last last <laughs> week and this week we went full bore that's this right thing so anyway uh that'll do it for the syncast this week keep going to soundcloud and giving us your thoughts keep giving us your questions too we get a lot of great questions some from soundcloud some from twitter some from uh the subreddit thread um go there let us know we are going to give you an orgy of questions next time uh because we do have some that we already answered and we're excited to get to you uh including a fantasy casting uh a question yeah, that we'll get buddy. to it's very mm-hmm. interesting so mm-hmm. we'll get to that next episode i uh, hope you enjoyed all of the the round being done this time yep all right that'll do it for this week it's chris atkins and jeremy scott and barrett share we'll see you next time thanks for listening comment on our episodes on our soundcloud page check us out on youtube twitter facebook and reddit and be sure to visit cinemasins.com Yeah, I mean, both of those are like, yeah, they look nice in that or whatever, but it's never, it's not the same. It's not, I want to see Christy Swanson in her Buffy the Vampire Slayer outfit, and that, and then she looks like she did in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And then, <laughs> I am very specific with my needs. That's right. <laughs> uh, or, or hell, uh, uh, what was the, was it Terminal Velocity she was in? Did, or, was, no, The Chase? Oh, One of those yeah. Charlie yeah, Sheen yeah. movies. Yeah, it, it was The Chase. Yeah. Yeah. Something They're running like from that. the cops and they have sex in the car. Yes, yeah. they do. She climbs on him while he's driving at 70 miles an hour and they do it. <laughs> yeah. That movie is redonkulous. <laughs> I love gold. <laughs> I love gold. <laughs> you see, Mr. Powers and Faja. <laughs> Did you ever see Obsessed? Yeah. Was it any good? In that. Seems like a Hallmark movie got a good cast for once kind of way. Mm-hmm. But most of the movies, Idris Elba and Shaving Cream Carrie Bikini. Washington. Whipped Cream Bikini. Oh, Ali right. Larder. Yeah, Ali Larder. Oh, that's right. I saw a bit of it uh, the other day. It's on Stars. Yeah. And uh, Idris Elba, man, like just fucking commands a screen. He kind of does. he's on there. Yeah. He's a watchable dude. Yeah. He really is. And has a giant dick. Mm-hmm. According to TMZ. Mm-hmm. Really? Uh, they have photo. Um they have photo. <laughs> they have photo of pants on set. I love lamp. I love lamp. Pant- I love gold. Pants that would fit uh, otherwise, or something like yeah. that. So, yeah, that's my that's my waistline. But uh, they never figure in the penis size when they do these <laughs> pants. Did you ever see that Friends episode where Chandler goes to Joey's tailor to get a suit? And the oh, tailor goes, now we'll do the in-scene. Oh, and he and goes up his leg. Up, yeah, it pans up, and you see Chandler's face react like his, his balls got cup, cupped. So he goes back to the apartment in Ross, and everybody's there, and Joey's there. And he's like, Joey's tailor abused me. Yeah. <laughs> there was cuppage. Yeah. And Joey goes, that's just how they do pants. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Ross, tell him. And Ross is like, oh, yeah, Joey, that's how they do pants. In prison! <laughs> <laughs> Yes. What if we had a whole conversation in grunts? Mm. And I feel like we could do that. Do the Frankenstein Tonto and whatever mm. on Saturday Night Live. What was oh the, yeah, what was and uh, Frankenstein Tonto and uh, uh, I used to love this. It's John Lovitz and Phil Hartman and yeah, Phil Hartman plays Frankenstein, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Kevin Nealon's Tonto. No. 
No? John, John Lovitz, Lovitz is Tonto. John Lovitz is Tonto? But Kevin Nealon plays the other guy, right? Yeah, and I can't remember who it is. But I just remember John Lovitz, they were talking about a hot woman, and he's like, Tonto live on her like reservation. <laughs> 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 and Frankenstein's always just going, <laughs> What was the third fucking guy? Tarzan. 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 Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I had the uh, blue screen of death on my computer today. Oh, maybe it was just tired of watching Tokyo Drift. It may have been. I was getting actually have Tokyo Drift all the way done except for renumbering because I cut out like four or five cents. Mm. And as I and I saved it, but then I started renumbering, and around the eighty part, eighty point, it went just. And it's done it before, but this time it's like you get some shit. It yeah. wouldn't come back for you? Uh, it's on right now, and it's saying we're fixing disk errors. It might take over an hour. <laughs> well, I hope they do a good job there, little computer people. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> That's what they do. That's what they do. <laughs> By the way, that's us old men, you millennials. That's the beauty of... Still having cable because you can stop and start and just go in and watch a little bit of a movie, move on to another movie. If something, God forbid, is on IFC and it has commercials, you go over to something else and you get a bigger breadth of experience versus this a la carte thing where you have Netflix and you're locked into a movie and that kind of thing. And then you have to move, shift your whole thing. So anyway, that's my my screed. (laughs) I don't know how persuasive that was, Barry. You young whippersnappers. I I don't think any of that's going to work. But that. It was fun. It was fun to listen to. Diane Weist. Diane Weist. Does whatever a Diane Weist. By the way, I don't remember who it is, so we'll have to put it in the comments. But somebody we like is making a new Untouchables, I think, miniseries or TV show. Hmm. Because I saw Untouchables reboot something something and started to roll my eyes, but then it was either like the guy who shot the first season of True Detective or it's one of these up and comers that we like is behind it. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, okay, then. Well, of course, one thing that we forget that, uh, you know, the Untouchables was a TV series before it was this movie. It was with uh, Robert Stack. Yeah, Robert Stack. And then it came back after the movie had done well mm-hmm. with discount Sean Connery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With Gimli. I thought that uh, when you brought that up, uh, because the Intouchables is being remade. Right, with Cranston and um, Kevin Hart. I can't find anything with the Untouchables. I will, I will, I will take this upon myself. God damn my freaking brain.